and talking to our friends. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with... Aubrey Loveless. And I'm Danielle. Hey, gang, before you listen to the episode, make sure you go over to Mike Mignola's Art Facebook page to check out the raffle goodness. This is the last week. Look, you've got your holiday shopping done by now, right? You've got to spare five or ten bucks at least, and it's super easy. Step one, go to Facebook. How is that easy to do? Well, I mean, for some people, it's kind of like a moral quandary, but continue. (laughs) Step two, you're going to go to the Art of Mike Mignola's Facebook page. What do you think about that? That's pretty good. (laughs) Jared Turnbull does a good job moderating it, if I do say so myself. Oh, yeah. Great site. Step three, you're going to join the group. We don't have to do that because we're already part of the group. Yeah, but you should do that because it's great. Mostly, there's lots of really, really good people in there. Yeah, and we hang out in there, too. And step four, you go to the announcements and check out the raffle. 75% of donations go towards the V Foundation for Cancer Research, and 25% go towards the American Brain Tumor Association. You could win some awesome prizes, man. It's worth all the work of those easy steps to possibly win a Hellboy sketch by Mike Mignola or a sketch by James Heron or Lawrence Campbell. They've got comics, including Next Men 21, signed prints by Mignola, and other Hellboy artists. So get over there already. Hey, Danielle, what's the show all about? Hey, you know, <laughs> when you, you know, when you're reading Hellboy and you say, man, I wish I had a bunch of friends to talk about this with. We are the friends, and then also there's other friends, and maybe you can't see them, but it's a book club, and you read it, and you then you are going to listen to the, wait, no, we read it, we re, we're all reading it, and then we talk about it here on the show, and then we're going to say, hey, you guys, talk at us, you, hey, you damn guys, and then you talk at us about what we talked about already, and then next time we're talking about the next thing, we're going to talk about... What we y'all talked about last time. Back to you, John. All right. Thank you so much for explaining all that for our listeners. If you've been enjoying the show, give us <laughs> friendship and Hellboy. Yes, all in the same place. We're going to talk about that. Yes. Okay. If you've been enjoying the show, give us a review. We've got a lot of iOS listeners. Head on over to the app or on your desktop and give us five stars and some feedback. We'd really appreciate it. Paul from Gartoken said. Hey, you damn guys. I have posted a five-star iTunes review. Friendship. Friendship. (laughs) Kill the black flame. Still loving you guys. (laughs) And he said, also you mentioned it in an earlier episode that the comic book Hellboy smokes cigarettes, whereas the film Hellboy smokes cigars. In Darkness Calls, Hellboy is smoking a cigar when he meets the witches. So I guess he smokes cigars in the comics, too. He switches it up, probably cigarellos and... Dejarum Blacks on occasion, I imagine. He's kind, I don't of, know. A, he's think kind he, of a numbers kid. Yeah. You think he smokes Dejarum Black? For sure. I think you only smoke those. You know what? You're probably <laughs> yeah. right. I actually don't smoke them, by the way. <laughs> no. Just that, was, that was occasionally in my 20s when I was at a very goth nightclub <laughs> dancing to the cure. Yeah. Numbers. That's right. <laughs> Shout out to Numbers Houston. Shout out to the Numbers kids. Head over to our pals at Mignolaverse.com to check out their great reaction video to the Hellboy trailer. Danny's got a really entertaining video, plus some great reviews of the Hellboy winter specials. So what did you guys think about it? We got some feedback on the Facebook page for the Hellboy trailer. If you don't want to hear the discussion, I'll put the time code in the comments so you can skip past all this to the listener feedback. Kane Gray said... You should I- definitely skip it. Okay. <laughs> Kane Gray said... <laughs> I think they put the comedic beats in to appeal to a broader audience. People who don't know much about the comics might have seen the other two films and will go out and watch this one not knowing it's got a darker tone. Edgar Sid said, 
He was taken aback by the tone of the trailer. They were describing that this adaptation would be darker, but he's still very excited for the movie. Ryan Bolton really enjoyed the trailer. Brief appearance of Gragok and the Chicken Leg House of Baba Yaga. I'm curious about having so much BPRD in the story, and I was perplexed by how funny the trailer was after all the dark-rated R in the press. And Todd Bialis, I enjoyed it. Hopefully they don't do a long backstory on Hellboy. I can't shake when Hellboy talks. I hear Ron Perlman's voice. Nothing wrong with David's voice, I just need to get used to it. But other than that, I like how Hellboy looks. So what what did you think, Aubrey? Yes, I did see the trailer like about a bazillion times. Uh, did you see <laughs> uh, both of the the original and the Green Band trailer? I saw that this morning. Oh yeah, I did uh, see there was like another version of it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I actually liked it. I mean, I enjoyed it. I mean, I know that uh, everybody's expecting kind of a darker tone, but I really think this is kind of the marketing because yeah. people are familiar with the Guillermo del Toro films. You know, and then they're just trying to kind of build, appeal to a broad audience. But I do think that, like, on the next trailer, you're probably going to get something a little more serious in tone. Huh. Okay. Uh, yeah. That's that's kind of what I was thinking, too. Everyone was like, I don't know. Yeah, there was a lot of that where people were saying, oh, I thought it was going to be darker. This seems like the same thing. It's funny. It's like a Marvel movie or whatever. But I think, like, that's the marketing people trying to make it so that way people will go see it. And I don't really think that that reflects what the entire movie is going to be like did you see the david harper reaction to it no you sent it to me but I, uh, I didn't get a chance to watch it but i heard that that was pretty good well i know when people are complaining about the billy idol song but like david's he's watching the trailer and he goes he goes i don't think this song is in the movie good song though I yeah like okay yeah uh, see it's just the marketing yeah yeah so ultimately i'm excited i was really excited to see the little bits and like i don't know when i saw that little glimpse of the the, the chicken leg house i was just like <gasps> I got excited and I was like, I knew what it was. And so, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's cool to catch all the references when you've actually read yeah. the stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of little things in there. You see Grogok for a oh, yeah. brief second and you see um, some other things, you know, that we're going to get to before the movie comes out. But yeah, it's really exciting. I guess I got the same feeling I got when I saw like one of the first Lord of the Rings trailers right after I just finished reading the whole series. Right. And before any of the movies came out. And that so. is a similar. Yeah. That is a similar situation, isn't it? Yeah. So you just get to see like those images like, ooh. Sure. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm excited. And uh, yeah, I'm glad that you mentioned that Lord of the Rings thing really quick, just because those movies are very different from the books, sure. but they're still pretty good movies. I mean, they tweak the things here and there, but it's pretty faithful on the whole. Here's the thing for me. I'm going to jump in here really quick because I have a little thing. I got to get this off my chest. All right. Like... I didn't watch the trailer and I don't plan on going out of my way to watch the trailer because I already know like, okay, well, I want to see this movie. Yeah. Regardless, like I know I'm going to see it and I kind of feel I kind of feel like the purpose of trailers, maybe some people have forgotten what the purpose of trailers are, but the purpose of a trailer is to get someone interested in seeing this movie who A, might have never even known this movie was happening or coming out, be like, hey, we're advertising that this movie's happening. Here's why you should go see it. Right. And then, like, be maybe someone who's on the fence about it. I don't know if I want to see that or not. Oh, check this out. Maybe you do want to check it out. Maybe you do actually want to see the movie. So I already know I'm going to go see right. it. I don't really feel like I need to be like, well, let me decide if I'm going to see this movie or not. I got to see more information about it. I want to see that stuff when I'm watching the movie. Yeah. You know, I'm just going to go see the movie. So I want to see the whole movie when I sit down to see the movie. Right. And then another thing, Jerry Turnbull in the Art of Mike Mignola Facebook group thing, I'm always bragging about 
how everyone there is so super cool and great. And man, a lot of diaper babies showed up to have a bad time. And that was very uncool. I wouldn't have even known about it had it not just showed up. Right. Because Jerry had to make a whole separate post about like, hey, can you guys stop being dicks for a second? <laughs> like, look, okay, we get it. You hate it. You, A lot of people were making super negative comments, which I won't repeat here. I'm not even going to bother. But just really like, I didn't like it because this. I didn't like that. It looks cheap. It looks fake and dumb and blah, 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 whatever complaints you have about it. It's fine to be like, look, I feel this way. But then like, jog on. Right. Okay, I guess you're not going to go see it then? You don't have to? You don't have to see any of this. You right. don't have to watch any of this. And then someone was like, what about Freeze Peach? And it's like, first of all, <laughs> this is not the government. It's a Facebook page run by one guy who can definitely decide what yeah, is and is sure. not. And like, he's not, not even telling you. Too. He's not even saying, hey, you're not allowed to say one negative word against this. Or else. He's saying, learn to read a room. Get some social skills. We get it. You're being very negative, killing the vibe, bringing everyone down, and generally being a bummer. We understand you're not going to see the movie or that you don't like it and you're going to see it anyway. But, like, move on. It's, you know, people who are enjoying this are enjoying it. People who are not enjoying it, maybe go not enjoy it in some private messages and then bitch about how bad it was over there. Because it's like... Yeah, it's just negativity. Yeah. It's just negativity. We get that you don't like it. It's not that you're not allowed to express a negative opinion. It's just that Jerry's trying to steer the ship in a not asshole direction. Yeah, you know, it's um Mike Mignola's art Facebook page. It's yeah, about man. it's a you know, it's a fan page about you know, all I of us. I wouldn't even consider it a fan it, yeah. page. I think it's just a it's a it's an appreciation yeah. place. It's a place where you can go to discuss different parts of how this work has affected you or touched you in some way and it's like it just really got to me it just got to me i was like i wouldn't even be reading any of that i normally don't have to it just popped up in my feed because it had a billion comments on it and the algorithm was like pay attention to this and i was like i would rather not i was trying to look through some threads common threads and stuff to see the all the little details that people were catching because people were like oh did you see this did you see that and i'm like i'm all about that kind of stuff But then interspersed was just all this bullshit. And it was just like really disheartening. And I think that it reminds me of when Heath Ledger was cast as the Joker. That's one other thing I wanted to add. And like everybody, you know, shit all over it and said it was the worst thing. And now people praise that as being the best superhero movie of all time. And the fanboys now consider this their ultimate favorite Batman of all time. It's like, okay, guys, well. That's what happened. So, you know. We're, we're all going to go see it anyway. I want to go see it in the IMAX, yeah. and then I want to go see it in the IMAX 3D. I think we should all go see it together oh, definitely. in the IMAX 2D, and then me sure. and Aubrey will go see it again in the 3D, because I know there you don't, I know you totally don't like cool. the 3D. Well, the 3D kind of makes me feel motion sick, and I'm not in control of yeah. that. Yeah, so, um, but when I was on Reddit, and I was looking through the common threads there, Clear Island on Reddit gave us a shout-out in the discussion about the movie, so hey. thank you so much for that. And he also did a version of the poster, so... On the poster with the big horns, it says, demons have demons too. Right. And some people were saying that they didn't like that tagline or whatever. And uh, (laughs) so he changed it to, hey, you damn guys. (laughs) (laughs) He posted a picture of it. Oh, I saw that. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, that was really good. Thank you for that. That made us laugh. That's great. 
at elena chi on twitter said thank you hellboy book club i was listening to the podcast during a six hour recovery time and it was really reassuring and so wow. I think she got like laser eye surgery or something like that. Okay. Didn't you get laser eye surgery, Aubrey? Yeah. Um, Is it like a six-hour recovery time? No. Okay. Then maybe <laughs> it was something else. Well, it might have been. Well, no, it might have been a different type of surgery, a different surgeon. Could have right. been. A, it could have been. She had something else going on with the surgery. It's just everyone's different, and the variables are they vary. I'm glad we could help you get through that, and. Thanks, Inkhorn, on Twitter, also for giving us a shout-out. Sequoia at Sapien 80 said, Hi, y'all. Just wanted to say I sing along to the theme song every damn time. That is all, as you were. I thought that was really cute. I love that theme song. Uh, yeah, it's great. Uh, well, I didn't actually know. I thought it was we were doing like a scratch track. It was on an iPhone. It yeah. was on someone's phone. And then I thought for sure we were just we going to do like the actual version of it like... It was going to, you know, we I still don't need know. to do that. Uh, we'll do that eventually. I mean, it's, oh man. <laughs> and we also heard again from Duncan Figredo. Oh, wow. He said, I've been reading the omnibus editions and really enjoying them, but stumbled when I got to my issues. Too much baggage, even now. Mm. I have to say thanks for allowing me to experience these books afresh through you guys. That was a lot of fun. I appreciate the enthusiasm for the books as a whole. After all, I was a fan first. Wow. And I thought that that wow. was so awesome to hear from him. And um, I'm glad that, I mean, I, can, I don't even know what to say. Wow, I don't even know nice. what to say for that. I saw that and I did my little happy dance. Yeah. Uh, well, it's just really cool to, I've said this before, it's just cool to be directly interacting with the artists whose work we respect and admire and enjoy in these stories and it's just it's very cool to be talking directly with yeah, Dr. Fregredo. It's neat. really awesome and um I'm it, glad that we could um provide you with some sort of enjoyment. Yeah. <laughs> and not despair. Really. And you provided us with <laughs> yeah, so much I mean, enjoyment. Yeah. <laughs> we got a message on Facebook from Nick Stewart. He was listening to the Darkness Calls episode and it reminded him that he had put together a video a couple months ago for one of his friends that was about to start reading the Hellboy books Ooh. to hype him up. Oh, cool. And so he set the Del Toro theme to some images from the trilogy, this next oh, Hellboy trilogy that we're going to be reading. And so um, it was pretty cool, but I think I'm going to wait on sharing that just because it shows some stuff that's going to oh, happen. Oh, it's got some spoilery It's got some stuff that's going to happen. Okay. And uh but anyway, it was pretty cool. I'll, I'll post that down the line. When I posted the teaser for The Witchfinder that we read last week, Ryan Rollinson said, Been so looking forward to when you cats would get to Witchfinder. Brian Ohl said, Mignola, Steinbeck, and Stewart. Hmm. Some feedback on Burial of Catherine Baker. Mark Tweedell said, In quotes, it sounds like proper fucking ganda to me. <laughs> on this topic, I've discussed some of the stuff with Scott Alley. Danielle, what you're talking about is the sort of thing Allie was going for. Yeah. He often reminded me that the Hellboy universe is full of unreliable narrators, and just because someone believes something is truth doesn't necessarily make it so. And Jerry Turnbull also said... Yeah, no, that, was a, that was a great comment. Yeah. I really liked that. Yeah. That was good. And Jerry Turnbull also said, absolutely, Foresight is writing anything he can to support Hood. That said, I'm pretty sure Baker was a real witch. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I thought that was pretty good follow-up on that. Oh, yeah, I mean, and it's like we talked about like all through the podcast is like, you know, there's so many unreliable narrators and right. characters just aren't what they are but that's, it, expected to it, be. It's such good writing, though, to know, do that, to so not, good. you know what I mean? It's yeah. it's that yeah. extra level of you 
they they're people. They it, feel like people. It keeps me coming back for more. They're flawed and Y'all weird. Y'all are so and... in this now. This is what I've wanted all along. <laughs> <laughs> it's so great. Oh, man. Some feedback on Witchfinder in the service of angels. We had a really interesting piece of feedback this week. We had a salutations, ye damnable gentlefolk. <laughs> I have to say this is not what I expected when my butler gave me the 22nd issue of Enlightened Talks about the Boy from Hell and why our women should never interact with outsiders and other pagan nonsense from beyond our glorious nation of Britannia. God save the queen. But after my first disappointment, I started to warm up to your interesting talk about the biographical natures of good old Eddie. Haven't seen him in a while, though. Do you know where he's staying? He owes me 50 pounds. (laughs) Even if I was no friend of this story at first. Too much repetition, I thought. Too many already known details about the enemies of mankind. A tale only worthy for beginners of Mr. Mignola's opium-fueled dreams of monsters and ungodly sexual snake women. (laughs) But it hit me, Mignola repeats himself to give his themes more depth. It's always one man, monster, fish man from a side of the family we don't talk about against the powers of evil and what sacrifices they have to make. It's always insane lunatics that try to take powers from places they shouldn't. Too much German in them, if you ask me. (laughs) And it repeats and repeats itself through time and space. Be it in right now, in the year of our Lord of 1888, or in the futuristic wasteland that is 2018. How can poor people survive there? They don't even know how to prepare a proper cup of tea. (laughs) There's no peace for mankind beyond the grave, as Eddie will also learn. And I had this realization after reading this story, and it took from there to every story Mignola ever told. It all started with Witchfinder, and without it, I maybe would have lost interest in the bigger Mignolaverse beyond Bellboy. I mean Hellboy. So thanks for that in the service of angels. Little side note, is it me or are the old Hyperborean swords really kind of look like lilies? Our symbol for godly powers. So that double, the yeah. double tips uh, sword. Read you next time, old chaps. Keep up the good work and teach those primitives in 2018 how to prepare a good cup of tea. Oh, man. Best wishes, Sir Nicholas von Krautstein, <laughs> Baron of Wordedstadt, Earl of he just put some nonsense hero of every battle you've ever heard of in the peaceful and cheerful year of our lord 1888 god save the queen man almost spit out my iced tea when i was reading that (laughs) That he's not talking about iced tea (laughs) oh i know oh man oh i know that's why i said it i know (laughs) it's like fourth wall fanfic (laughs) super good Good stuff. Uh, that was great. Thank you so much for that, Jen Niklas. Joshua Worley said, I'd forgotten how much I liked In the Service of Angels. And man, all that foreshadowing that goes on is ridiculous. I love it. And he also says, I want that sword. Come on, skeleton crew. Hook us up. A skeleton crew sword replica. Do you fucking nerds understand <laughs> how expensive and humongous and ridiculous I want that, that would too. be? I want it too. What about the guy that makes the wooden ones? I think that that's a good little thing y'all could do. But I want the All right. One. Well, that's we're not going to become people who collect swords. <laughs> that's not going to happen. So says you. It's not going to happen. I, I need a sword. No, yes. <laughs> no one needs a sword. I already have two. <laughs> oh my God. Our good friend Matt Strackbean at the Letter Hack said, Great episode. Pretty sure the Hollow Earth theory was from Edmund Haley of Haley's Comet. I could be wrong. Have you heard of that? <laughs> what? Haley's Comet? Yeah, I um, was. Uh, I think Haley's Comet was passing when I was born. 
Is that a thing? It came. It passed in '86. I remember. Yeah, like, uh, I was born under Haley's Comet year. Yeah, so I, I, I was don't like remember a, like when exactly it was happening. I, I remember I was 11 and I, I was like expecting some big ass fucking fireball in the sky and it's like oh it looks like a star that's moving if <laughs> you're just standing there looking at the sky that's really <laughs> cool though comets are super good and cool oh don't get me wrong it's still awesome but you know how it is when you're a kid it's visible like every 75 years or something right here's a little bit of it it says 300 years ago in 1692 an article by edmund haley proposed that the earth was hollow oh, its theory was based on the value of lunar relative density hey Aubrey, Haley's 1986 apparition was the least favorable on record. The comet and Earth were on opposite sides of the sun in February 1986, creating the worst viewing circumstances for Earth observers for the last 2,000 years. So that's probably why it wasn't a big deal to you. But to oh, don't get me wrong. It was still no, a big deal. Saying. But Is that like, it? not that it wasn't a big deal, but yeah. that it wasn't that impressive, quote unquote, to look at, I it guess? It wasn't what I was expecting. So I guess sure. in I history, was something a little exactly, more like that, but it's, it wasn't. Uh, well, because people in history, all it's been recorded all throughout history of being like this phenomenal, <gasps> earth-shattering, reality, mind-bending apparition that was like fucking super wild and all this stuff and it probably was but to us because that that was not it wasn't good to be you couldn't see it very well that year my um uh, my grandfather was born the year at, the year after he was born the Haley, the comet came by in 1910 and he died the same year it came back wow. that he talked about it all the time that's why i was all expecting because he would talk about it for all the time yeah. wow. i was i was born in may 1986 so it passed like before i was born but still it was the same year so i don't know what that means or anything but well i mean february is probably the direct overhead so it's still in like the vicinity sure. february like march yeah. yeah anyway so there is some scientific basis for this theory in 1692 Haley's theory is that the planet is a series of nested spherical shells spinning in different directions all surrounded by a central core in his estimation, based on readings of the magnetic field and what he knew of the gravitational pull of the sun and the moon on the Earth, this model could account for any inaccuracies in his readings of the magnetic fields of the planet. He also posited that the space between each shell may have had luminous atmospheres capable of supporting life. I mean, none of that is true, but well, I mean, that's interesting. The Earth is made up of, that. That's cool. Well, it's made up of different layers. That so you got the true. core, right. the outer core, and the, and the core spin, and I mean, that's what creates rotating, the... they're not rotating, Well, the, the core spins, and that's why we have the magnetic sure, sure, field. Sure, sure, That's true. And then there's the liquid mantle but completely wrong on everything else yeah it's really cool to listen to that. yeah that, this idea neat. was expanded upon by other people generally this new view of the hollow earth is accompanied with the theory of a small sun that hangs in the very center creating a lush livable environment on the flip side of the earth's surface and that's kind of what we saw in that model i mean that if y'all want to melt in the... into magma y'all can go live there that's cool <laughs> dyson sphere yeah, yeah so thank you for that matt <laughs> oh man please don't People who believe in Hollywood, please don't take my Dyson Sphere thing serious. <laughs> I don't want another flat well, earth how society. Do people, yeah, how do the flat earthers and the hollow earthers, do they ever have like little nerdy LARPing sessions where they try uh, and fight each other? I don't, know. <laughs> I don't know what to say to that. That would be, I would pay to see it. <laughs> I'd pay to see that. Comic Palooza, make that happen. Yeah. Tom well, Hart. No, we don't want them there. We don't want nobody there that's like that. Of course not. <laughs> Tom Hardman said, On the subject of corrupt witch finders paying the price for their deeds, I offer up a fascinating story from 1460s France. The details are relayed in a royal pardon signed by Charles VII, so we can be pretty certain that they pertain to actual events. Master Jehan, a self-proclaimed physician with the ability to identify witches, 
moved into a small town in the Pernies Mountains and began flinging accusations around. The brother of two of the accused women, a poor laborer by the name of Jehan de la Case, protested this judgment and confronted the witch finder demanding he retract his accusations. Offended to be spoken in such a way, Master Jehan refused to withdraw his accusation, doubling down by first going to a hostel in town and continuing to badmouth the women then by taking a spear and attempting to murder their brother when he attempted to intervene. Shortly after this, the two Jehans found themselves drinking in different rooms of the same tavern. Suitably liquored up, the brother marched up to the witchfinder and struck him a fatal blow with a big pointy stick. What's interesting is that the royal court came down in favor of the brother, offering him a complete pardon and reinstating his good name and standing. So they were like, yeah, that guy was a dick and he deserved it. You know what I mean? So thank you for that. Tom Hardman always has good historical reference to the stuff yeah, that we talk very about. Cool. Oh, yeah, very cool. Very interesting. Jerry Turnbull said the captain is based on Peter Cushing, and Swain, who we called Liam Neeson, is based on Christopher Lee as he appears sense. in Devil Rides Out. And Jerry said that it was my homework to see the movie. Sorry, I haven't seen it yet. Okay, but so I, I do want to see Devil Rides no, Out. No, that those, Wait, those make sense. Those I, are two very cool guys. Sorry, what? I looked that up. It is not on Netflix. It is not on Hulu. It is not on Uh-oh. HBO. It is not even listed on Amazon to oh. buy in like DVD form or oh, something. Oh, so how are you supposed to watch that? So, yeah. good luck. Oh. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I want to see it too, though. I'll figure it out. Jerry Turnbull also said, nice detail. There are seven salamanders oh, around yeah, um, yeah, Gustav Strobel. And so like the seven dragons. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. I said that Sir Edward becomes Acheron, and Jerry Turnbull said he doesn't become Acheron. Acheron is the place where he's remade. And at Rev Andy Carlson also told me the same thing. I don't think he's ever anything other than Sir Edward Grey. So that was my bad. There's a page in the sketchbook, in the Wake the Devil sketchbook, where it shows that hooded guy, and it says Acheron. So I thought that that was his name. You know, I don't know. Maybe he was still... No, but we're always... uh... We always love to be corrected. Please always yeah. do that. We want to be. Great. We want to have all of our facts straight. Absolutely. Nathaniel Green also said, "Atron is a river in hell, as told by Milton in Paradise Lost," which, as we know, is uh, definitely canon as far as the Bible goes. <laughs> that one and the other one. What's it called? Uh, Dante's, Dante's Inferno. Dante's Inferno. Definitely canon. On the things that I forgot to talk about last week, the Hollow Earth guy, so when the Hollow Earth guy, uh, the vampire, was, he called all his people to give blood to that vampire monster. Right. And he said, we have to leave this body behind. And it reminded me of um, what Rasputin told to Ilsa. Oh, okay. That she had to leave her mortal oh, body yeah, behind in yes, order to that is true. pass on into the next world. That is world. true, because she, that whole weird thing ended up being just, Hecate took all that over. Yeah. So that's interesting. But that also, because of the comic cult people, that every time a comic comes around, there's all these cult people who are like, anyway, we talked about cults already. Yeah. We that's a bummer. <laughs> we won't get into that. Let's, Continue. Let's skip the cult talk. Go, go ahead. There was an awesome movie that came out in the '86 Night of the Comet, or or something where the comet Haley's Comet came, and everybody was dust the next day, except for a handful of people. Huh. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. It was a fun movie. Yeah. I think. One of the most important things that I forgot to talk about was the whole. I felt like the whole in the service of angels. They're telling Ed Gray. He's learning from Zora. This is a warning. This horrible thing is oh, going to sure. happen to yeah. you. You need to stop what you're doing. At the end of it, she goes, leave London. You know, yeah. you, you got to stop doing this. And then it's like, 
Edward never left London. He stayed there and yeah. continuing investigating the Heliopter. And so, like, well, we've we've been over this before too. The hubris and the dramatic irony and the yeah, the tragic. Irony, but he just whatever. ignored all of what he made a decision. Even though what she said, even though he there were all these warnings, he was like, "No, I'm going to keep doing this anyway." That's what that's the whole like faded, yeah, tragic hero guy yeah yeah totally but we didn't talk about that and i was like later that i was goes like dang it back into <laughs> yeah. the the oldest classics that's you know that's classic shit and before we go to our book club discussion of the week i want to mention the discord again if you go to our facebook page you can find a link to the discord and hop on in there there's always a good discussion going on i was talking to, to some people this week cool. and it was really cool. It's a good time. So go check out our Discord discussion. Check that out. The link is on our Facebook under the About section, I think. All right. So now we're going to talk about BPRD Killing Ground. BPRD Killing Ground was published as a five-issue miniseries from August to December 2007. And one thing that's interesting is already is the covers are by Guy Davis. They're right. usually by Mignola, but I think Mignola was doing... He was busy doing something else at this time, so... Yeah, Guy Davis gets to do them. I, I like these Guy Davis covers. I like this one. Oh, yeah, yeah. The Killing Ground on that page, it's got the cover to the Omnibus. The Omnibus, yeah. Yeah, and it's, um, yeah, I love that Mignola version of Daimyo. But no, I mean, and obviously Dave Stewart does an excellent job oh, with yeah. all of this, but it's good to see Guy Davis again. Good yeah. stuff. And I love these full color covers. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, I like that. Although, this was such, such a weird. Yeah, this the, was a weird story, man. It, it really was, and I and yeah, I'm glad you said that because uh, I think I was talking to Aubrey about that when this when I was reading this as the issues. Like, what am I reading? It was so like it was a yeah. it was a real sharp turn. It was like whoa. I felt like I was reading an issue of heavy metal. Yeah, wow. uh, <laughs> I did. So when I first saw this cover, I'm like. Who's the beefcake on the front cover? And where's Johan? Right. right. Yeah. I was like, wait, okay, so and there's it just, just some it nobody just throws here it in the there. Cafeteria. Yeah. When you start reading it, there's just it just throws you right in there. It I love that. It's really cool. I love that. Yeah. I don't like all this long winded explanation bullshit where this exposition is so clumsily. I like just throw me in there. I'll figure you it out figure as it I out. go. Yeah. You know, let me enjoy the story or the movie or the comic, whatever it is, anyway. And Daimyo says, this is fucking ridiculous. That's the very first thing. That's a good thing. way to open oh, it. Yeah. It is a good way to open it. That's a good on the reread. You go, oh, this is this is just classic the way they open the story. So recall in Garden of Souls, Johan was surprised to learn that Daimyo's grandmother was the war criminal, the Crimson Lotus. And he shared this information with Liz and Kate. So this is what Daimyo is reacting to right, here right. when he says yeah. that. And he's pretty defensive. He says, I can't figure out how you think this is any of your business. It's ancient history. Liz says they were just asking a question. Well, now, he does say something else that I think is significant. He says, if special forces didn't care, why the hell should you? Yeah, sure. So, like, he was vetted. They checked that shit out. Right, right. You know, and they were like, okay, Daimyo, we know that you're still an asset here. And we know that you're not affiliated. That was your grandma. You know, we're not going to, right? I mean, plus, yeah. plus he's worked with him for a few years now. Right. And that's the, that's the thing that's, I think that yeah. something that uh, you might call it defensiveness or you might call it being wounded, being hurt. That like, that's something that how can they ever, how can he let his guard down and grow together with people? 
he's been through some bullshit. He's been through a lot of shit. Right. And we don't really even know the extent of it. Well, we will, but we don't know it right now on this page. But he's he's starting to say, like, wait, wait, come on. I thought that we were a team. Like, this is, this is fucking ridiculous. And it, it all plays back to that whole sins of the father kind of motif where sure. it's like you're responsible for the evils of your family. And it's just right. like. Well, Hellboy has been but, going through a little bit of that. And it's just like, but that's. Yeah, I your mean, fate and all this shit. Yeah, I mean, it's just like you know. I mean, no, I mean, you're you're your own person. He's his own person. He's not his grandmother. Right. But anyway, John, you were saying what was Liz talking about? Well, I was just mentioning, like, before we go to the next page, you can see that Liz. Is I was going to say, yeah, that. she still hasn't been sleeping. You can clearly see she's, that she's got the bags. Yeah, under Dave her eyes. Stewart put some. She's got some dark circles under her eyes. There, she looks. Um, she looks a little worse for wear. Like she's real tired. Maybe she's maybe she's stressed out. And Johan again mentions that he thinks it's weird that he didn't say anything when he saw him looking at that scrapbook and there was a picture of the Crimson Lotus there. And Daimyo says, he's not proud of his grandmother. Can you blame me? She wasn't some superwoman. She was normal. She practiced witchcraft, stuff she got out of books. And Daimyo is talking about, uh, why don't we talk about what your grandpa did during the war, Herr Kraus? Yeah. You know, like that's... That's he, the implication is that his fucking grandpa was a Nazi, right? But um, there's a little bit of stuff again. I hate to go so slow, but uh, you know, Liz is Liz and Daimyo have never really gotten along. But I always was hoping for them to form some sort of right grumpy bond against all odds, which would end up being the strongest bond of all, kind of a deal. Right, I'm such right. a sucker for that sort of shit, and. Um, when grumpy characters are vulnerable, that's when I really am like, oh, this is all paying off. But, you know, he's saying, oh, next time everyone's accusing you of stuff, you know, you see how, how pissed off you get and all right. this shit. You know, my, I'm an American and all this shit. And so Johan's talking about, oh, it has nothing to do with that. He's very chill. And so yeah. I like I like that Daimyo goes after him because it's like, the fuck are you talking about yeah like, shut up <laughs> so it's very um yeah but then all this stuff about oh she's she did witchcraft and all this stuff but have do you do you notice that he's getting kind of a headache yeah he's, he's getting sweaty yeah. yeah and you kind of see that throughout this series it's he's very just very intense. on edge he's kind of yeah not feeling great and again he says just when i think i can work with you clowns it starts all over again so um, he's just like, screw all of you guys. I felt really bad for him there. Yeah. I felt really bad for him there because he's just when I think, you know, we're going to be a team. Man, fuck all y'all. I thought that was, I felt bad for him. Yeah. First thought, I thought the, uh, when he was like sweating and rubbing his head, I thought it was just he was dealing, he was tired of the stress of right. dealing with this same thing over and over again. That's, yeah, but that's a little extreme no, 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 no. of a reaction there. That's like some weird mm. foreshadowing of some shit. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, no, no. I'm, but I'm at first, saying. when you first read through yeah. it, you were like, oh, I guess he's really fucking mad. He's just frustrated sure, with this Sure, he's frustrated. Sure, yeah. Daimyo runs into Abe, who tells him their new tenant is arriving early. Great, Daimyo says. Let's go welcome the poor slob. Over at the other BPRD headquarters in Fairfield, Connecticut, the Falling Water Building. We haven't seen this in a while. Well, it says former, so... Yeah. Bummer. Right. <laughs> a security guard talks to Mr. Dorn. Dorn needed his laptop so he could alert the team in Colorado to expect a transfer. Dorn walks back to his car, and he's talking on the phone, and he gets pulled over. Uh, so I really like the lighting in this panel where oh, he just yeah. pulled over. Stewart did a, such a good job. Man, just that that uh, dusk and in the blue and the red and just got that hint. It's just like, yeah, it's such a tough palette to really master. Right. Yeah. 
Thank you for that little detail there. And I also like his card. You can see it has the BPRD logo on it when he's taking his ID oh, out. Nice. Yeah. As the cop comes around his car, Dorn gets his paperwork out to be confronted by not a cop, but a man in all black with a short beard. He pulls him out of the car through the window and throws him across the road. The man steals Dorn's car. And then when Dorn gets up, he notices that there was no police car. This so is a very was, X-Files, yeah. cold open kind of a feel to this scene. Yeah. <laughs> I just expected the next page to be like... <laughs> I gotta admit, I was expecting something worse to happen to him. But then when it didn't, I was just like, oh. Yeah, all he did was steal surprise. his car, yeah. Right. Well, who the fuck is this guy? Right. That's, you know... That's the I'm number sure one that's thing, what yeah. they were wanting me yeah. to feel but yeah who the fuck is this guy back at the bprd headquarters in colorado we see daryl the wendigo and he's pretty wild oh i love daryl yeah abe tells the air force guy that he was supposed to sedate him and the guy tells abe i pumped enough teletamine into this thing to knock out a rhino teletamine is a dissociative anesthetic and pharmacology classified as an nmda receptor antagonist it is related chemically to ketamine yeah it exists as odorless white crystals it is sometimes used to tranquilize large mammals such as polar bears and wood bison you're the wizard voodoo magic guys you put his ass to sleep the guy says and Damio's like, always hated those damn Air Force bastards. <laughs> I guess that's like a military thing. Yeah. Like, I, if you were in the military, you would understand that more. Right, yeah, I think so. I think all uh, the different factions of dudes are just like, have a... Abe doesn't think there's much of Daryl's mind left in there. Abe also doesn't remember him being so robust either. Well, they've got some pretty good gems in prisons these days, Damio says. Abe and Damio look at a picture of Daryl's family... And this is the one that Hellboy and Abe gave Daryl during that flashback in the Universal Machine. Tough to raise two kids on your own, Daimyo says. She probably remarried, don't you think? Better off, I'm sure. Living a normal life. Yeah, they're better off. Bet they hardly ever think of Daryl anymore. And the Wendigo growls from inside the cage, startling Abe and Daimyo. So, like, he's still, there is some of Daryl still left in there, right? Part of me was thinking, because when he's saying stuff like, yeah, they're better off, but they hardly ever think about old Daryl anymore. Part of, part of me think was like, are you like trying to antagonize this guy on purpose? Like oh, get right. him, maybe yeah. get his humanity to jump out or something. But then also like he didn't really know anything about Daryl. So that's probably not accurate. And then also he's just kind of an antagonistic dude. So he doesn't mind saying a bunch of bullshit, I guess. Right. I wonder the same thing. Though. So I guess he's just talking shit. That's I a good mean. point, though. And I do like seeing Abe and Daimyo together again. Yeah, that is cool. Johan and Kate walk down the hallway, and Johan marvels at his new senses. I do not like this guy, by the way. Which one? I like Johan. Oh, yeah. But I don't understand what's yeah. going on with this weird, what's the word for it? He says, I haven't smelled or tasted anything in years. Every bite is so new to me. And he says this as he wolves down a giant hoagie. Turns out the BPRD was able to savage one of those giant bodies that we saw the Oan Society growing in Garden of Souls. Yeah, I never made this connection when I read Garden of Souls. Like, And I was glad that you guys kind of didn't predict it either. Like, Did you even think, like, oh, Johan could get one in one of I these? I definitely nope. did. Oh, wait, well. <laughs> I, well, I didn't, okay. Well, I kind of thought, like, yeah, well, maybe he would 
want to do something like that. I don't know, but I didn't think they would actually do it. I didn't. Yeah, when I first read Garden of Souls, I didn't even think about it at all. I thought if yeah. I was Johan, I would think about it, but right. I didn't think that it, I didn't predict that it was actually going to be a storyline. I, I do not like this. I just assumed that they destroyed all the bodies. So like, sure, like, yeah. So like when it opens up and we have no idea who. I mean, how Johan got this way, I was like, did I miss an issue? Right, yeah. At first I had thought, oh, what's, did I get to the wrong? But no, it's, they're just throwing you in there, which right, I yeah. do like. I do like that. Like, I, I can figure shit out. You know, I'm not, I don't need a million exposition, yeah. different conversations. But I think that the way this is going right now, I'm not liking this. Right, yeah. I do not like this. Where is Johan? Well, I guess I can kind of understand the storyline a little bit because he's like, he's been, I guess, quasi dead for a long time and just being right. able to have senses again he's right it, i guess he's well just i don't kind feel of like i'm loading himself i don't it's, feel it's like overloaded. i'm i don't feel like i'm meant to like it though oh no, yeah, yeah, yeah no yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. true okay, yeah yeah and oh yeah I don't, i'm not saying i, I, don't, I don't like don't. the story i'm saying that i don't like what you like i'm really invested oh, in this right, i don't like yeah. what johan is oh, talking yeah. about or what he's doing i think he's being he, weird he, he he becomes like utterly glutton and disgusting well he's I don't know if, even know about if it's disgusting. He's just not being himself because he's so preoccupied with I can taste things again and well, oh, I can feel things again. Like I understand that yeah. you miss that and you want to experience those things again. And but it's like it's it's, it's that kind of that attachment and that you know it, he's being flooded with all of this all of a sudden. So yeah. he's kind of Do you think really preoccupied with just this attachment to physical things, and it's really. That's not the Johan that we know. That's you know the Johan that we know is is um, considerate and kind and 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 is very um, you know cerebral. Yeah. Do you think that the uh, the way that the body was grown to be that like superhuman thing has a, is having an effect on him? Like if he'd have been like a Absolutely. normal a normal growing body, Absolutely. he'd be himself. I'm yeah, thinking that's about a good that. point. Yeah. While I'm reading, I agree. I think that we had the same while we were reading, and I, I agree. I think that there's something weird about this yeah. Yeah. vessel. Let's call it a vessel. Okay, that's I good. I guess. Yeah. 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 And I think that it's just like a. It's just it's too much. Yeah. And I think that, but it also goes to show that. Even Johan, someone who we consider to be a pretty generally a, a good guy other than the horrible thing that he did, but he got over it and he right. grew. But we generally think of Johan as a kind-hearted, yeah. thoughtful person. Yeah. And here it we are shown that even the best of us, quote-unquote, or even even though he's he's flawed, but he's generally an okay guy. So even someone who is down to earth most of the time can become under certain circumstances someone that is unrecognizable someone we do not like and i think that that's sort of a reflection on all of us like if we get too preoccupied with certain vices or or even things that aren't vices like everyone needs to eat to survive but that can turn into a vice if you you know let it and, and then other things as we see he has an appetite for some more stuff and yeah. sometimes that's okay to do but then if you do that 24/7 it turns out to be just I can already see this is not going into a good direction at all. Yeah, it's it's a very addictive, destructive behavior yeah. path that he's on. Yeah. Mine, Johan says of the body, for as long as it will last, which promises to be for quite a long time. Which is a very ironic <laughs> statement. Yeah, on the reread. He's very egotistical. I'm so strong. Yeah. Look how strong I am. Like And Kate calls him King Kong. I know and all says, about it, King Kong. And she says, his body should be useful in his duties at the Bureau. Right, Johan says, there's that. 
Like that's the last thing he's thinking of yeah, are his duties. He doesn't care about his team anymore. He wouldn't have that body if it wasn't for the Bureau. So what exactly did the captain mean earlier about your grandparents, Kate asks. That's funny, Johan says, because I was thinking that perhaps we could talk about that over dinner. Kate redirects his approach. She's focused on work, but Johan presses on. Another evening? Good night, Johan, Kate says, walking off. Another time, Johan says, and this pose right here yeah. is, uh, yes. it's just like smelling and tasting aren't the only things that Johan hasn't experienced in years. Yeah. Right? And that's, yeah. that's understandable. That's understandable. I'm not saying that he shouldn't want to do that. I'm just saying like, have some, he, he, he can't, he can't have any awareness of right. who he's talking to. Yeah of anything but his desires well it makes me think of it makes me think of that weird story from the universal machine like that weird story of him like with the ghost lady lady, you know and all that kind of stuff um, yeah i think it kind of like that was a seed for what happens in this story yeah and he's just this is just like that times a thousand and you thought oh well that was in the past he's grown since then but we're learning that maybe he hasn't or maybe like you were saying aubrey has something to do with this particular vessel. Yeah. But um I mean it was made by Victorian There you go. The ON society. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> something about it has to be lacking in some way. But like he's he's I like what you said about the body language because um I think Guy Davis does such a good job of trying to communicate that this this is a different body we're not used to seeing, but it's Johan in there. Even though he's behaving really weirdly, it's still him. Like you yeah. can see his hands doing this on um, the middle panel and then the lower right panel. His hands are doing that thing like you were saying. Yeah. He does that. He does that. All the yeah. time when he's speaking. And that's sort of his, it's a specific gesticulation that Johan would use. And so I, I like that he still kept that there. But yeah, this the conversation that they're having is a little less enjoyable. Right. In the next scene, we see some cats and Liz approaches them. She's in a wasteland. A woman tells her to get away from there. But Liz comes up to the cats. Liz, it's too late. Run, run, the woman yells. And an enormous row of teeth, a giant maw comes up behind her. That seems like thousands of rows of teeth. Yeah, that we is... can't even see yeah, the, whatever is... the creature is. We only see the inside of the mouth. It made me think of Cothahem. Yeah, I wonder horrible. if this was the inside of that right. Cothahem worm when it first came out. And she wants to... Oh, yeah. That's so... That's... That speaks something of, of Liz's character and what where her mind is at is she wants to save the most vulnerable, um, you know, the most vulnerable among us. She wants right. to really be there for the the ones that maybe are left behind or forgotten usually and are not on the priority of everyone else. She wants to save the, the tiniest precious. Yeah. And then also could that be a foreshadowing that this specific that the cats, it's a cat and not a, a dog with puppies, and it's a cat with kittens. Maybe that's something that's like, right, are these dreams right. related to what we're about to find out? Sure. So, Well, I actually did think that she was just dreaming about Cothahem because, you know, she went through all that. I mean, why wouldn't right. you have nightmares and right. yeah. PTSD on that oh, stuff? Oh, definitely, definitely, yeah. yeah. Liz suddenly wakes up. It was a dream, and she's had this cloud over her ever since she was given that flower at the very beginning of the Black Flame. Then she saw that apocalyptic vision in Garden of Souls. Johan approaches, and I like he's got this huge tray of food. He's got all this stuff on there. It's like he went up to the cafeteria lady and said, I'll take one of everything. Yeah. <laughs> and I, like, again, you know, I understand. Oh, you haven't eaten in a while. You know, go go wild. Right. Liz can't stay and talk, though. She's going to meet Panya. 
And so it also seems like Johan's trying to come on to her too. Well, he says, what do you think? Oh, I, I think it might be nice to sit together. And then she's like, I can't. I got to go do something. He's like, oh, I'll try to catch up with you later. Right. And it's like in any other context, that would be really sweet. And right. Like, oh, Johan, you want to, you know, spend time with your friends. And that's that's really sweet. But like we know that there's something else going yeah, on. And if if it wasn't for that, this would be very sweet and heartwarming and touching. But yeah. because of this specific context, we know that it's not. And that's really disappointing for me because like. I know that Johan has to value his teammates yeah. for who they are. I don't understand why he's, it's like he's possessed yeah. or something. But then, of course, I don't want to be taking away the responsibility for his actions. Sure. They sure. are his own and he should That's own true. them. So I don't want to be, you know, saying all that. Liz suits up in full scrubs and she enters a curtained off area. Panya's in like this clean room right. in the bureau. It's Panya. I'm excited to see Panya. Yeah, and she knows Liz's name and that she's there to babysit. Panya thinks all of this is silly, but Liz says it makes a lot of sense. Panya's been on an island for a hundred years. Panya might not have resistance to fight off a little bug. I know, I know. Panya says, "The officious one, the blonde." She explained all that, but I'm more than three thousand years old. By God, I'm supposed to fear a virus. And Liz offers Panya. I think, I think that by God, I'm, it's like, I'm more than 3,000 years old, damn it. Yeah, She's yeah. Using by God is a cuss, I think. Yeah. And Liz offers Panya a starfruit durian and banana smoothie, frozen to kill the bacteria, but it's really good. Panya says, it's delicious. Don't pay me any mind, dear. I have my moods. It's nothing more than that. I really like that little interaction right yeah, there. Yeah, it's very sweet. I just want to make a little interjection. Yeah, Anything sure. with banana in it is not delicious. Oh, bananas no. are disgusting. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I, think I like bananas. candy is disgusting. I like, um, I like bananas. I like yeah. strawberry banana. I know I'm the only person on the planet. <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like banana usually gets overridden by the other more acidic fruits usually but like um yeah. i like how she's saying all these weird things too she says star fruit and durian like i i don't usually eat stuff right that yeah that in it, so i don't know where she would have found that she had to have made it on her own or something yeah they've got a good cafeteria we've seen they have like lobster and burgers and all this <laughs> other stuff no i was trying to see because she brings it from the cafeteria she's already got it in oh the it's cafe- got a cafeteria cup yeah so yeah yeah anyway it doesn't matter <laughs> Panya notices the bags under Liz's eyes. It's the dreams, isn't it? She asks. You you know, Liz asks. I should say, says Panya, listen to me. From 1923 to 1934, I had dreadful insomnia. And the dreams, I can't even tell you. Panya says Liz is very thoughtful for picking flavors that are native to her island. Oh, the durian and the starfruit. Yeah, and Liz says she's glad to have another woman in the place. She wanted to make her feel welcome. Panya says... I think you're the one to help me. Do you suppose you could get me something? A kitty. I thought Aww. that was really cute. And I kitty, like this bottom yeah. panel where they're just sitting together as it kind of like, it's just all it's white with the two of them. Yeah. And I just really like their poses and the way that they're just looking at I each like other. I like face when she's saying the, a kitty. Yeah. She wants a kitty. I wasn't expecting Abe and Damio to bring her back. So I was really surprised to see her there and just happy. You know, I was just like, oh, cool. And it's (laughs) kind of like, what were they going to do? Like, there's a leftover body and Panya's there. Like, they had to do something. So it kind of makes sense. You Mm -hmm. know, a lot of comics would just maybe write that off and we would just cut back to the, you know. never see them again. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that's um, that's really cool. Yeah, I like that. And she's got a bandage on her arm where they were 
doing mean stuff to her arm, so that's good that they're looking after that. Oh, right. Oh, right. you're right. Yeah, because they were cutting her. Yeah. Um, what was that guy's name? Edward, I think. I hey, was particularly affected by yeah. that scene, so I'm really... <laughs> that's right, like, oh, with, those, do with that. those scissors or whatever. So I'm glad that that got resolved. <laughs> In the next scene, Abe writes a letter to Manning. We see that he's still at his Victorian desk with the robe and the picture of Edith Howard, and we also see the cane. But he's writing normally. Yeah. It's he's a- not writing this Victorian <laughs> prose. And he thanks Manning for letting him bring Panya back. Abe writes that leadership shifts with each mission, and they all must be prepared to lead the task force. Let me point out, he is still writing, though. He's not, like, sending an email. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah, he's writing a letter. True. And we see all these different things. We see Kate researching in her room. And She's the only one that's really still working on this, honestly. Right. Yeah. I can't believe and that. And we see that Johan is reading a swanky magazine, <laughs> oh. and he's surrounded by junk food. And then we also see Daryl the Wendigo. That's more like he's surrounded by garbage. Yeah, yeah really. <laughs> well, this panel with the Wendigo at the bottom is amazing yeah i love it so much it's very adventure time oh yeah kind of yeah it kind of looks like that art style abe writes that makes each member vital indispensable there is no room for error when all of us must depend on each single agent for our safety and our lives and the foreshadowing could not get worse you've been very patient with me these last few months tom in case you thought i hadn't noticed but i am back for full duty and will not disappoint you in your trust you have my word Respectfully, Abe Sapien, BPRD Headquarters, Colorado. And over these panels, we see Daimyo. He's Xing out dates on the calendar, and you see one of them circled down the line. Right, right? and he looks super worried. Yeah, his pose in this middle panel, and you kind of see that the this no monkey is looming over him, you know? This no monkey. Oh, good right. job there. It's not really a good job. No, it wasn't. Yeah. On an airplane, we see a man in black, the guy that stole Dorn's car, and he's got Dorn's laptop, and he's looking at a screen that says, Eyes Only, BPRD Directory. And we see all the team's names in there, and there were some Easter eggs. Did you see any Easter eggs? The Gamil Del Toro's in there. <laughs> yeah, and you know who else is in there? Old Sidney Leach. Old Sidney Leachy. Leachy, Leachy boy. boy. <laughs> <laughs> he's in there, so he's still part of the Bureau. Oh, chapter two you want to talk about the cover it's not that i want to talk about it's just fucking awesome yeah the cover is it. awesome i love it i love it yeah it's got daryl the wendigo and then so daimyo good. yeah but this the drive of the wendigo is like so daimyo puts this piece of paper in a guardian lion burner what what is it called what is this type of burner called um it looks like a brazier a brazier that's the type of burner that it is. Or? Well, it's uh, you know, it's 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 made out of metal. It's made out of what looks like it could be a iron or bronze or right. something. And then it's, you know, it's uh, it can withstand really hot temperatures. Obviously, you burn stuff in it. Right. And uh, it's obviously used for some sort of either ritual or summoning. Or he's, I mean, we know what it is now. He's he's calling that guy to come over here. Right. So it's you know, looks like a brazier. And so, to me, the animal kind of looked like one of these guardian lions. Since the introduction of lion symbolism during the Han Dynasty from Indian culture, especially through Buddhist symbolism, statues of guardian lions have traditionally stood in front of Chinese imperial palaces, imperial tombs, government offices, temples, and homes of government officials and the wealthy. And they were believed to have powerful mythic protective benefits. Now, do we know... 
Well, so you're talking about Chinese culture. I guess, did the Japanese maybe borrow some of that from Chinese culture? I don't know. Or something? We don't know. Okay, do we know what the character is? I looked for like 45 minutes right. to try and figure out okay. what character that He's was. He's using and... like traditional calligraphy. Yeah. Guess, so. It looks like a Chinese character, right. but I couldn't figure out what it was. I looked for like urgent emergency i don't know like i tried to figure maybe what he's putting in there but i couldn't find it anyway in the next scene johan lifts weights in the gym and it's impressive we get an idea of how strong he is johan sees kate there and he thinks that she's there to talk about having dinner well hold on. i said i like the way kate says impressive in the least impressive way yeah I like impressive yeah <laughs> she's got her arms crossed she doesn't look too impressed she actually looks like she knows that there's some bullshit going on yeah She's actually there to make sure he's still doing his BPRD work. He hasn't submitted any summaries of Professor O'Donnell's notes on the frogs. Professor O'Donnell. Hey, Daniel, would you like to have that job of doing Professor O'Donnell's notes on the frogs? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Kate says, we're still fighting a war here, even if the frogs are lying low. Your workout done? Please go pick up today's notes from O'Donnell on the way to your shower, okay? And she's like, get on that shit now. And the face he makes. Ooh, yeah, the face that he doesn't he makes. seem that he's too pleased. And Guy Davis does a really good job. He's like, what the fuck, dude? He seems, I mean, it's a very specific expression. Yeah. He seems very, it's a very derisive expression. It's like, who the fuck do you think you are talking to me? Yeah. That kind of an expression. And I'm like, uh, this is Kate. Come on, man. Like, why are you having an attitude? For, for real. It's really, really weird behavior. He was so pleasant to her when they first met, you yeah, know, and he was very exactly. grateful for exactly. everything that the Bureau was doing. I feel like I don't know this person right now. It's very interesting. Johan checks in on O'Donnell, and he's asleep amongst all his notes. What do you think about his room here? Professor O'Donnell. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I love his room. It's just absolutely full of books and papers and files. He's sleeping on them. Oh, it's, it's exactly more, as if you it's exactly the way you would expect it to look it's more of a hoarding level of books and paper right and if you look i just noticed this right now at the very bottom of this panel there's a lobster claw card oh you see that? Man, wow any appearance from professor o'donnell is going to be my fave for sure and johan says wonderbar closing the door so he's like well he was asleep i didn't get the notes sorry you know i went to go try and you know, it's a very... Yeah, it's very interesting. Uh, I don't... I feel like we just don't know this character yeah. anymore. Over with Abe and Daimyo, they watch Daryl the Wendigo tear through a deer. Abe's installing a camera to monitor how much of Daryl is left in there. And Daimyo's still sweating. He doesn't think the guy's in control after all these years. Abe asks Ben what's his interest in the Wendigo. Abe's caught him down there three times. Daimyo says he needs a distraction. Something to keep him busy. Oh, and just, Abe acknowledges that Daimyo's being weird and edgy. I guess I just caught this. I, I should have probably caught this on my first read through. But even from earlier, all those flippant remarks he was making, it's he's worried about himself. Yeah. yeah. He's worried about what he's. Yeah, but people just don't care about him anymore. And oh, uh, how much of them is in, you know, you think that he would be able to communicate. He's trying to. Think like, is this my fucking future? Yeah. Am I looking at me? Are they going to keep me in a fucking metal right, box and yeah. feed me deer? Wow. Like whole entire carcasses of animals? Like, am I just going to gnaw on it like a, like a fucking jaguar? You know? And so that's, man, he's he's really going through it. He's yeah. having a hard time. And suddenly Kate calls in on the walkie. She's looking for Johan. His cell is out of range. Where the hell can he be? 
and we see him driving off in a Jeep. Where can he be? And he's got a, yeah, where can he be? And uh, his little his little grin, his little sly. It looks very uh, like Chuck Avery cartoons or something yeah, like right. that. Sure. I also want to point out this little like panel between Abe and, oh, yeah. and Kate, the little buzz line down to indicate yeah, they're talking on the walkie-talkie. I like that. That's a good That's little, de- yeah, I really like that detail. Well, and it, there's just little simple things to let you know what's going on. Otherwise, you might be confused, which right. I love just the little things you can do to kind of indicate stuff. And it doesn't take oh, yeah. you out of the story or, or interrupt it in any way. I love the that. That's that's a good that's a good uh, catch. Yeah, I love stuff like that. It, yeah, it's people just don't fun. really appreciate little little things like that. I think, but um, yeah, man, they need all hands on deck, and this guy's just taking off. Yeah, come on. I w- I will point out, I do like the way that Dave Stewart colored the light on the Jeep. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like the two-tone. I mean, it it's really really just, good. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I'm just in love with uh, his coloring. It's, it's, it's very amazing. expressive. <laughs> and it's very tailored towards Guy Davis's style of drawing. He really tailors it to everybody. Because yes. we saw a I different mean, Dave Stewart with Ben Steinbeck. He has such a communicative. Yeah. Yeah. And all these different artists communicate things in different ways. And and like you, like you were saying, um, Dave Stewart is able to communicate through that specific lens what it's, he does it's like dave stewart and um clint robinson doing the letters so like they're one thing that's almost consistent to the yeah all the yeah well we're i mean there's there's changes here and there but yeah. we are we are it's fortunate so awesome. enough yeah, it is awesome we're fortunate enough to be reading stuff that everyone who's working on it is a master of their craft yeah. it's so exciting to when it all comes together like that, you're, you really notice the difference. It's, oh, yeah. it's really beautiful. We are thrown into one of Liz's visions again. She sees people being murdered by frog monsters, destroyed cities, and massive Ogdruham. And so again, we get one of these giant this splash pages. Crazy like we kind of saw. You know, the one that we saw in Garden of Souls, like you could at least see the whole monster like here they're so big like you can't even it's fucking wild it's just towering over everything and these frog monsters going to town on these people in the background too is really gruesome and we see this guy guilford now we know his name from last week's read Witchfinder in the service of angels now you see don't you he asked liz the enormity of it I'm not lying to you, Miss Sherman, he says. I've never lied, and you will never know me to lie. Not to you. And the time is drawing nearer than you think. You have to face this now. This bottom panel, like, right here, it took me a second to figure out what was going on when I was reading it the other night because it's still got part of his robe in it, and I was like, oh, she just walked right through him. Right. <laughs> yeah, to me, that communicated everything really clearly. Like, when I saw that panel, I was like, oh, she's just passing. It was just one very fluid moment for me this this really worked and um i love her body language like up at the top of the page she looks like she's absolutely slogging through right the you know she's she's this the swamps of sorrow or something like she can barely move and she's just so sad and like oh man just the despair and like this this cloud of She's so, she can't do anything. Right. The way that she walks through him, too, is just like nothing. Yeah. You know, she just walks right through him yeah. and she looks she so, right yeah. Through. yeah. Exactly. And she when she sits down on the next page, it's just this, the most dejected, just so much despair and just very tired and I give up and yeah. defeated, just this defeated pose. And she says that it's too much. You expect too much. I see these things and maybe they're real or will be. 
but somehow you keep me from sharing them with anybody. I'm all alone with this despair, and it's just, it's too much, too much. Yes, yes, of course, Guilford says. Gods, how could I have been so stupid? This is my fault. I will make it right, Elizabeth. What, she says, and then she wakes up. And you can kind of see, even sitting up, she's still in that kind of yeah. slouched pose. Yeah. But that um, that 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 expressiveness, um, the level of storytelling that we get yeah. from the art is really, um, I really appreciate it a lot. Yeah, and so we cut over to Panya, and she's got her kitty now. And the kitty's asleep, but suddenly it wakes up. What's wrong? And Liz enters, and she's like, hi, and it's got the, the little, little yeah. Yeah, yeah, I like that. The kitty, when, when, when the kitty's all curled up next to Panya, and she's like, oh, you've had a big day. This is very, <laughs> such a sweet moment that she has a little kitty, and these little moments of sweetness in this horrific world yes you really savor them at yeah. least i do at least i do it's I mean, a cute moment yeah. Yeah. yeah and i can totally it's very um we always say cinematic but i could see it you yeah. know it's yeah. very it's it's you can see the camera like a the, slow the, the the dialogue and the lighting and the characterization and i could all see it happening yeah. in real time in my head you know i could almost hear the voice too yeah. a slow um, zoom in on the on panya and the kitty yeah yeah <laughs> Outside the bureau compound, we see the man in black again, and he's breaking into the facility. In Daimyo's room, we have this really cool panel as this healer guy enters. He kind of appears in some smoke and just like he parts the smoke and just comes out of it. I really like that. It's almost like he's pushing apart. Curtains. Yeah. Well, yeah, but he's pushing apart like the realities. Right. To get to Daimyo's reality. It's like a weird. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, it's like he's 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 parting reality like you'd open curtains. Yes, it's a very <laughs> effective uh, page. Hello, Captain Benjamin. I am here, he says, but he doesn't see him. So urgently your call. I doubt not your need, but where are you? And then he goes, ah, and we kind of see him smile, too. He's always smiling creepily in a weird way. Yeah. Yeah. Out in the hall, the trash crew talk about how Johan and his new body have increased the gross tonnage of garbage in this place single-handedly. Welcome to the freak show, one of them says. And behind them, the man in black creeps. And from the signs, we can see that he's going towards the armory. That's not good. Liz and Panya talk. Liz is calmed by holding the kitty and thanks Panya. No, thank you, Panya says. You were the one who bullied the doctors into letting me have her. (laughs) And last night, for the first time, and I don't know how long, I had a dream about my first kitty, Olabisi. And so the name Olabisi is an Egyptian baby name. In Egyptian, it means it brings joy. Cute. Well, and she says it's so, so, so wonderful. That's very important to have a kitty again. So that's, yeah. Is that, does that, do you think that has anything to do with um, specific Bast cults where they would worship um kitty cats yeah i'm sure i'm sure it does and she talks about her little kitty how she was always eating off her plate and there's some flashbacks we see some flashbacks of panya in egypt but it could also be that she just really likes cats because cats are the best (laughs) so are dogs and birds and animals (laughs) and so in her dream the cat was eating off her plate and then her father stepped out of nowhere and started shouting at Ola B.C. 
But you know how dreams are, how things change. All of a sudden, my father wasn't my father. He was the ghost of Akhenaten. And so Akhenaten, known before the fifth year of his reign as Amenhotep IV, was an ancient Egyptian pharaoh of the 18th dynasty who ruled for 17 years. He is noted for abandoning traditional Egyptian polytheism and introducing worship centered on the Aten, which is sometimes described as being quasi-monotheistic. I like the way that they draw the cat in that panel and the cat's like, when the cat sees the dad and the cat's all like back in its defensive yeah, posture. Yeah, you can like, kind of see its ears are back. Yeah, yeah um, no, no detail too small for Guy Davis. Yeah, and the kitty, well, do you want to know who my kitty was? Liz and Liz is asleep. I do want to know who her kitty was. I, I wish the way I knew the rest Ancient of that. Ancient Egyptian mummy dreams are important. I would like to know, please. And she goes, oh, no, no, Ollie, leave her be. You can see that the cat is, yeah, she's trying to trying get, to get the... and so she calls her Ollie. So I wonder, did she name this one Olabisi also? Yes. Because that would be the little, the short name for it, That's right? Precious. Ollie. And she says, leave her be now. She's going to need her sleep. So can Panya see what Liz is dreaming about and all this stuff? I don't know. She does definitely have some powers. Like we saw that they were actually hindering her powers by yeah. having all that opium. Sure. And even then she could still get yeah. that little girl to draw that map and do all that stuff and talk through her. So she definitely has. And she's definitely pretty powerful. And she could control the kitty. But she doesn't. Sure. She is leaving the cat. She, yeah, you're right. She probably could. She's like, oh, don't do that. But she doesn't actually do anything about it, which I think is, you know, that's sweet. And um, I wonder what the connection right now between Panya and Liz is. They're very friendly towards one another, which is awesome. I like that. But can Panya, is she, has anything to do with what Liz is dreaming? Is she going to help her in some way in like the dream realm of or right. anything like that? Like, I'm just wondering what that's going to be into the future. Yeah, that's a good question. Go ahead, Aubrey. Well, I was going to say, she she might know what she's dreaming, or she might be able to know what she's dreaming, but she also might uh, respect Liz's privacy. Sure, sure, of course. And just, like, you know, kind of be like, oh, you know, that's that's her thing, and I don't want to pry and all that. Right. So, but... Um, she can see something in the future, though, and I don't yeah. know, like, you know, where she's piecing that together from, but she's obviously... Oh, yeah. uh, yeah. She's in on something. I think that as Liz keeps going to see her, uh, I think she's subconsciously going to her for help. Of course, yeah. yeah. They're yeah. developing a rapport. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Over with the Chinese healer, he's still looking for Daimyo. And I like these top three panels, like as he's going yeah, through the different it's really cute. he's going through the different parts of the bureau looking for him. And he goes through all these various rooms. He says, Why you hide in the basement? I don't know. But you are here, or you were. Your troubled spirit has left its wake, so I follow. No, this isn't right. This is different. What shade travels here? And the lantern's caught fire. Yeah, you can see that it kind of catches fire, yeah. And then we see this huge reveal of Daryl the Wendigo just growling in his face. And we see the healer. He's got a very afraid look on his face. And so it just kind of cuts to this. And we assume the worst, right? I like that guy. (laughs) But the consequences are real. Yes. They they sure are. Daimyo wakes up in the sauna and Abe's calling to him. He and Kate have been looking for him. There is trouble. This is just great, Daimyo says, and he looks at this pretty graphic depiction of the Chinese healer just totally torn to shreds. Terrible. I mean, I could never look like at an actual picture of something like this, but the horror is done so well. 
Oh. I mean, I think it's amazing how Guy Davis can make it this graphic and still let us recognize that it's this guy. You know what I mean? It's yeah, it, awful. It is, yeah, I, I agree. I was like, I, the art looks great, but I could never actually, I would never want to see this. Yeah. I would never, ever. You're taking a steam. Liz isn't in her room. And who knows where Johan is, Kate says. Meanwhile, a wild monster escapes and starts killing people right in our own house. And they really let Kate down. And she is always so good at her job. She's good right. at what she does. She is on top of things. And she works very hard for all of them. And I really cannot believe. You know, I can understand why she's pissed. She, they really let her. Like, what's going on with the team? What's happening? It's falling apart. And Abe says he thought the cage would hold the Wendigo. I knew he looked stronger, he says. I think it's weird that Daimyo doesn't tell Kate who the guy is. Because Kate's like, and who is this guy? And he's like, what? Oh, I don't know. Well, and he's it's hiding like, the thing. He's but, hiding something. But hasn't that guy been there already? I guess he just appears in his room. Well, yeah. The, yeah, but they didn't. They didn't have any Liz reason saw to ask him. They Liz didn't have any them. reason to ask him about it. They right. thought he was just getting a... Oh, I guess they're already they're already suspicious of him too. I just thought of that, right? They just confronted him in the chapter one. He's like, "Oh, well, if they know that I'm an evil magic thing, monster thing, then it's going to be, you know." So yeah. And Abe brings up a good point here. He says that this means Daryl's spirit is freed because whatever the Wendigo kills, then that thing becomes the Wendigo. So he so he's like, "Well, if the Wendigo killed this thing, then." Now this guy is the Wendigo and Darrow's free. He also says um, the Wendigo's new prisoner, quote unquote, is probably still rational enough to talk to. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Kate says they have to get search crews on it fast. And she mentions how much easier it would be if they had Johan in there to hone in on the souls. Still out of range, Abe asks? No. Now he's just not answering his phone for some damn reason. And then we cut over to just outside Boulder, Colorado. And they play... Don't Tell My Heart. One of the worst songs yeah. in the world. The, the song is called Achy Breaky Heart. Well, actually, it it's not? called is it's it? called it's called Don't Tell My Heart or Achy Breaky Heart, depending on which version you're listening to. The Marcy Brothers recorded the original version in 1991, written by Don Von Tress in 1990. It was supposed to be recorded by the Oak Ridge Boys, but one of them didn't like Achy Breaky. <laughs> Well, it is a terrible fucking song that annoys so, the shit out of but, everyone. So who check this to out. It, so, so the so the Marcy Brothers recorded it, and it only got to their album only got to number seventy one, and hmm. the trio exited their label and disbanded. Also included on that album was "Don't Tell My Heart," which would later become a five week number one on the country charts the next year. Wow! With Billy Ray Cyrus, and he recorded it under the title "Achy Breaky Heart." So Johan is here anyway. He's just partying it up with these two gals, and that's like Miley Cyrus's dad, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. my god. And they love the way that he talks, and they call him Arnold, right? Because he's in this big. Oh, because yeah. he has a he has an a, an accent. Yeah, and he's gigantic. Right. Wow. Exactly. Chapter three. Now it's the next day, and it looks like a fucking orgy just went down or something, right? Like <laughs> what is what what is it going really on? does? I mean that that definitely definitely happened and is fine i guess but also there's a horrible disaster going on answer your phone yeah johan's phone vibrates kate's still calling him over at the bureau abe is reviewing the video of the wendigo breaking out and kate's calling johan in the back you can still see her on the phone i like that little detail that continuity she says she's left three messages this just isn't like johan and i think that's what we're all feeling yeah 
Kate says they have four armed squads searching for the Wendigo. And Abe reminds her that conventional weapons aren't going to be any use. We well, still have to find the damn thing, don't we? Like yeah. She, she yeah. fucking loses it. And it's like, yeah, Abe. Yeah, we know that. She's trying to deal with this the best that she can. Well, I don't think that it's going to. You're not helping. Help. <laughs> and and well, I, What will then, Abe? Like, do some. Be proactive. He's and, just like, I don't think this. Right. And I imagine, like, can you imagine being the one person without powers like trying yes, to dude. trying to get shit done but like, you're like oh if i and so she even says that she wishes she could rely on liz but liz has been going through a lot because we know that the wendigo is afraid of fire yeah yeah so instead she sent some guys down to get flamethrowers and it's hard like it's not even something that liz can control we, we're learning that it's you know it's really out of her control. oh yeah no and so but she's, she's been under this spell ever yeah. since the black flame and so like it's like you're saying she's <laughs> She's the only super average human there who doesn't have any sort of special abilities right. or anything like that. And so she's like, why am I the only person with my shit together? <laughs> can you guys please back me up? So, yeah, yeah, I can understand why she would be a little snappy, a little snippy. Yeah. We cut to two agents. They're looking for the flamethrowers. The lights don't work. And, and one of them trips. These red shirts are fucked. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that shouldn't be there. And it's this empty gun case for this grenade launcher or something. And we see the man in black hiding behind. We cut to Daimyo. He's running late to something and he's sweating as he talks into his headpiece. Just go ahead and he'll catch up when he gets there. Daimyo puts on his gun holster, starts to exit, and he stops to look at the no monkey. They think they know, don't they? They don't know, it says. I know. Daimyo takes the monkey in its case and he throws it against the wall, smashing it everywhere. And his expression as he picks it up, you know, he looks just really... So much rage. Yeah. And through, I like throughout this scene, too, the monkey is just really menacing also. It's always kind of been looming over him in the last couple BPRD stories that we read. Somewhere in Colorado... Johan talks to the police. The mountain road is impassable. Johan says he's a federal agent, so the cops ask for his ID. As long as it looks like you, you'll be fine, they say. Right? So he can't produce that, right? Because his ID probably has him in the bubble suit or whatever. Although I was thinking, like, right here in this little profile pic right here, he, he kind of, like you were saying earlier about his mannerisms, it, yeah. it does kind of almost like yeah. you can almost kind of see that bubble yeah that's true yeah whoever heard of snow in september johan says everybody in colorado that's who the officer says now please go back to your car we cut to a briefing kate daimyo and abe address the agents and liz looking like absolute crap who's sitting there yeah shit man kate says the whole complex is on lockdown all calls will be forwarded to switchboard everyone will be communicating on closed circuit on their own frequency only contact Kate if it's damned important. And while she's talking, Liz just like slowly collapses. I mean, I just like this little pacing as we go down and we kind of see her just, you know, it's it's just slow and weird. But it's like you can tell it's the center. They're all trying to talk and yeah. then they it kind of is the center of attention for that moment. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah. I'm sure we've all felt like that sometimes yeah. uh, during the day on a long day at work. <laughs> When we haven't got much sleep and we're being terrorized by demons in our nightmares. Right. Everybody can relate to that. <laughs> yep. Kate orders the agents to move out and she calls to Liz. 
It's okay, Kate, Liz whispers. Everything's okay. You can go now. I like that Kate is very, um, you know, she, Liz, sweetie. Yeah, she's, she's yeah. really gentle with her. She's not like, what the fuck is going on? Or, sure. you know what I mean? Or anything like that. But I think this you can go now is like such a creepy kind of weird yeah. line. Yeah. It's like, what is that? She's under what? some sort of weird. Yeah. Down in the armory, the agents find the remain of the two guys. And again, it's horrifying. They're about to call Kate, but they get a call for all available men. And we cut to the Wendigo. The agents have cornered him and they're firing on him. Kate says to hold their fire. And we see Devon again, last seen scared in a French telephone booth back in the Universal Machine. Oh, yeah. He tells Kate that the Wendigo is getting away. And she explains that they need the flamethrowers. Nothing else is going to work. Well, she says, um, but the bolts won't hurt. There's only one way to slow it down. It's literally tearing through the door as right. she's saying yeah. this. And yeah. she says, where are those idiots with my flamethrowers? So again, she's been let down. Right. And the Wendigo just escapes. It's a pretty epic jump. I really like this yeah, um, this large panel in the middle. Yeah, but that's a good point, Danielle, because that's another thing that we've talked about before. Like, the equipment doesn't always work. Like, yeah. the people don't get there in time. Well, it's not like a perfect, you know, like, shit fucks up. Yeah. Like, it's like, you know, all the, it's like a perfect storm for all these terrible things to happen. Yeah. And they're oh, yeah. down in the armory. Maybe, were they sent to go get the flamethrowers? Like, yeah, what that's what yeah. I was thinking. But then later, well, no, it makes sense. Yeah, I think those are the two guys from the flamethrowers. So and it's I, like they they went down to the armory to get flamethrowers, you know, they're mulch. Right. And then the guys that were sent to go find the guys are like, holy shit, we need all the guys now. Right. And so there's a whole thing that they have to deal with. And no one got the flamethrowers. And so Kate is like. Holy well, fucking shit, this Wendigo's getting away. And like, they didn't even tell her no, that nobody they anything. found those two yeah. dead guys down there. So they didn't even say, oh, hey, they're not getting the flamethrowers, by the way. By the way, the Wendigo might as well just jump out into the night sky. <laughs> and her face, oh, her fucking God. face, her face down here is incredible. She's just well, so pissed. They did say that they were going to call her, but then the other guy's like, hold on, we got an all hands. Right, so yeah. They like were going we to. All, yeah, they were all yeah. going to that her location anyway. It's but, just yeah. that weird miscommunication. Like, stuff like yeah, that happens yeah. in real life, you know? But like you said, John, the perfect, it's the perfect compilation of, of things going wrong all at the same time. And then just after all this happens, Johan calls in. Uh, now, now he calls. Tell him to get his ass back on the base, on the double. Until then, I've got nothing to say to him. Yeah, for sure. Daimyo congratulates Devon for having no casualties. And Devon says the Wendigo never tried to hurt them. And Daimyo just looks out of that hole where the monster tore out. Liz is with Panya again. Liz tells Panya that she feels like she did when she was a kid at the Bureau. They're afraid of me. Elizabeth, you have been so good to me, but you need to listen, Panya says. You need to talk about this. Tell your friends. They are your friends, you know. Tell them. Tell someone. And Liz just says she can't. Because your dreams say so, Panya asks. I just want to point out one thing on the page. Um, She's saying, like, uh, about when she's talking about how when she first came to the Bureau when she was a little kid, how she she can't contribute anything. Right. She feels like, oh, I'm not even contributing anything to my team. It's just a matter of them taking care of me and making sure I don't blow stuff up. They don't they don't trust me like to right. be even in control of my shit. And so 
Panya's advice is good advice. Like, talk to them, communicate. Right, She's right. like, no, I can't. And she draws her knees up, like, in almost like a kid would do. Yeah. Like a little kid. The pose is very childlike. Yeah. Liz says, he's not a dream. I mean, he's in my dreams, but he's real. I know that because he helped me save a lot of lives. That's when this all started. And so as they continue talking, Panya's like, see, you're talking about it. It's not so bad. So she's like kind of getting her to open up. And Liz is like, no, it's not. And then immediately, like as soon as she's <laughs> like, yeah, it's not that bad. Whom do you trust? And she sees fucking Guilford again. And she just starts running after him. I have aired Miss Sherman, Guilford says, but I told you I will set things aright. Why do you seek outside help? Why do you think you can trust her? Here's a why for you, Liz says. Why would I come to you when you're the problem? That's ridiculous. Did I not help you to find your greater inner strength? To find it and use it to destroy Cothaham? Guilford asks. Inner fucking strength, Liz says. Look at me. You're the one who's made me weak. You're the one I shouldn't trust. And it's Daimyo. She's, I love this yeah. weird cutaway. So it's like she's screaming at this vision as she's running down the hallway and then the when she snaps out to, of yeah. her, yeah, and what she's yeah. saying is she's saying you're the one I shouldn't trust, and is pointing straight at Damien. And it's just very fucking ah. Uh, I know. On the reread, you're like, what the, what you know? Yeah. Anyway, ah, uh, for Christ's sake, Sherman, what's the matter with you? Damien asks. He goes, you need some sleep. Try those pills they give O'Donnell. They knock him out like Tyson. I take you to the infirmary myself, but I got a mess to clean up. And this pacing right here. It's just like he just goes into the room, he closes the door, and then it just blows up on the next page. And you're just like, what the fuck? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's yeah. just, uh, I don't know. I mean, when when I first saw that, I was just totally crushed. I was going to come back to this. You just talked about how Liz was like, they're just afraid of me, and they just think they I'm going to blow I can't shit up. My powers. And that's the first that's thing Kate's Kate first. Yeah, yeah, she's like, oh, Liz, what happened? And she's like, it wasn't me. Well, no, she's, yeah, she's saying, oh, what happened, what happened? And Liz is very, oh, I don't know. And then Kate says, Liz, you didn't. Right. Uh, and she's cut off. And and the first thing Liz says is, no, it wasn't me. Like a very, I know what you're thinking, it wasn't me kind of a thing. And she's expecting them to not trust her. And then Kate is saying, well, you've been acting weird lately. Did you cause this giant fireball right, kind of yeah. a thing? So yeah. it's very, yeah. Devon asks, isn't this Captain Daimyo's quarters? Where's the captain? One problem at a time, Devon, Abe says. I am glad we get Devon back. It's nice. Yeah, and we get some yeah. gunfire. They take some gunfire. They immediately jump down, and they see the man in black. He's got, like, the grenade launcher that we saw the empty case from, and it says, stay back on the wall. And this was such a weird ending for an issue. I was like, yeah, just, yeah, this third issue... You know, and then you had to wait a month, and you're just like, what happened? Like, Daimyo just blew up, and then who's this fucking guy? And why did he write Stay Back? Back to Guilford for a second. I mean, why should Liz trust him at all? Because we saw in the last last week when Witchfinder that the guy murdered his his boss, and he was nothing without him. So, I mean, there's, there's something a little more going on. So how did he go from that to where he is now? Right, And is he yeah. somehow trying to... Uh, like manipulate Liz and steal her power for himself or maybe not like steal it for himself, but like he's using her. Like, I don't know. It's just weird because we saw him and he was, he was like a nobody and now he's like all in her dreams. Yeah. And he's got, he's got some weird stuff and we're going to, we're going to read more about that as it goes on. His content, his story is going to continue to, 
you know, all well, will he be. Well, was, he was trying to, he was being friends with Panya, right? Yeah. And so him and Panya have a connection. They did, and the Heliopic Society didn't like that. Yeah. And that's when they secluded her. Yeah. That's when they secluded her. So they isolated her, her yeah. away, yeah. and then do we know what happened to him between then and now? And now? We'll probably find out. Oh. Mm. Mm. But I, I do want to point out his cloak was had like those like, what were they like lizard like maybe salamanders like, yeah the you know, snakes and stuff kind of like uh, the way uh, his um, I guess his uh, boss master or whatever had those ones floating around him yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah well then he but he remember the snake that turned alive and was pointing to the thing mm-hmm. in the deal yeah but in yeah. the black flame uh huh yeah. um, yeah. anyway so. you guys are right on it you guys are right <laughs> on it good job what should we do now Devon asks. The man just shot at us, Davon, Abe says. What do you think I'm going to do? And he just fires on him and he totally kills this dude. Who's this guy, Kate asks. A man who likes to shoot at people and blow up rooms. That's Abe all responds. he cares about right now, yeah. Liz asks if Daimyo was in the room when it blew. Abe says he doesn't know what the stay back means. Kate says if Ben was in there, there can't be any hurry anymore. And then this shape starts to emerge from the fire. Horrible. And we see this this monster... I like how, you know, like you're kind of thinking, is that Daimyo or what? But you can, it's got like that, the teeth going all the way back. And that's kind of like how he yeah. has that scar on the side of his face. That was the first thing that I noticed when I was looking at that. I was noticing the the gun belt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So they, they talk about that too. He's got, he had just put that on as well. So one thing that I enjoyed about all this was Danielle, when we were reading Garden of Souls, and the healer guy was there, you were like, what is what is happening? Is he turning into the Jaguar? You said that. Yeah. You actually predicted this a little wow, bit on yeah. that episode. So that made me smile. I didn't say anything at the time, <laughs> you know, but I was like, oh, no, wow, you know, you're catching those details. It's really interesting to see that come come to life. Yeah. And, and really, it's, it's, it's interesting to see that happen because I, you never know what the fuck's going on. But yeah, that's, it's a, it's an interesting twist because the way that they did the reveal was still really good. Yeah, and I, I was talking to Aubrey about it a little bit the other day, and I had sent him the that image from Universal Machine where they have the flashback, and it kind of, I love to go back to that page, the Jaguar God says to Daimyo, the old world is your soul, leave it there, it is old. The new world is life, take your life. Right. And so I really like that in the context of this reveal here. Yeah, definitely. And I, it makes me wonder if we're going to see Daimyo's character in a different um, medium, as in, you know, we're reading these graphic novels and we know Daimyo as right. being this very specific thing. If we're going to see this uh, character in a different medium, just how much of that character are we going to really get? Because it's kind of a lot, you know. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're talking about the movie? Is that what you mean? Yeah. I hate to mention that because I don't want a million nerds yelling at me. But no, but it's. Uh, I actually want to say something about that really quick. So, like I really don't even want to talk about the movie at this well, point, but yeah, go if ahead. If I could say something yeah, really please, quick please, that was kind please, of interesting. So sure. on Twitter, Daniel Day Kim. So the trailer was supposed to come out on Thursday. Perfect but casting, it, by the way. Daniel yeah. Day Kim, perfect casting. Oh, yeah. Looks so, super good. The, the trailer was supposed to come out on Thursday, but it got leaked Wednesday morning and it was like a low quality of it. So I guess the studio just said, fuck it, just re- go ahead and sure, release yeah. it so that way people can see it in HD. And so Daniel Day Kim posted it on Twitter. He said, I guess the cat's out of the bag. 
Check out the new Hellboy trailer, off. but he capitalized cat. No. He put a capital C A T. And so everybody so was he's like definitely read. Everyone his own was like, backstory. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah. Daniel DeCam is such a I love him. He's such yeah. a good actor. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's good stuff. So anyway, this were Jaguar, it looms over Liz. So it immediately goes for Liz and you're like, Oh no, what the fuck? And Abe tries to aim, but Devon's in the way, and Liz hand alights. Whom do you trust? The Jaguar turns and it looks at Abe and Devon and it flees as they fire at it. Did you see the harness? The thing was wearing the captain's. Yes, Devon, Abe says. We saw. I like the movement, too, of the creature as it kind of runs away. It's just really, it's a really interesting design. You know, yeah. the, the these long, like, arms, arm yeah. legs or whatever. Well, if you're going to have someone design you a monster, it's... Uh, it's, it's Guy Davis, yeah. It's yeah. Guy Davis. Abe points out that the fire didn't hurt it. And Kate can't snap Liz out of it. She's unresponsive on the floor. We see Liz, and she's in Guilford's world again. Now you believe me, he says to her. Now you trust me. Yes, Liz says. And Kate's completely lost here. I think we all are, right? At this point, we're yeah. like, I think we all kind of sympathize with that. And they're all asking the, the same questions we're asking ourselves, too, which is such a good storytelling vehicle. Like, right. You know, just have Kate and Abe talk about it. Exactly. You know, I'm lost. What's what's going on? Um how did he become that thing? What's going on? What's happening to Liz? And so it's a very, it keeps it moving. Kate even has like a theory about, she's saying uh, maybe the Wendigo bit him and infected him with right. something. Like maybe he's a victim. And Abe's saying, oh, it doesn't work that way. And so we really don't know who killed who and right. what's going on. Yeah, yeah I, I love that what he says that right there. And I, I like that she's still trying to make connections. She's still trying yeah. to make sense of this thing. Like how could all this happen? And the doctor is the doctor's saying, well, I don't get it. You know, Liz is fine. There's nothing wrong with her on any of my machines and tests and stuff. So I don't know what's going on going on with her. I don't get it. This is a hell of a night, Kate says. Dead soldiers, missing soldiers, two strangers who just came here to die. And somewhere out there, a man I've known for three years has changed into God knows what. And we see this were jaguar monster and it's like, Still evolving transforming, or yeah. transforming it kind of reminded me of american werewolf in london sure. do you remember that movie oh, yeah oh, there yeah. was some pretty uh pretty interesting transformation scenes there i like how she comments that it's been three years like for us it's been like a couple right. weeks it's a good right. yeah. yeah it gives us a good um, thanks for pointing that out timeline. we cut to some agents and they're all freaked out I'm putting in for reassignment tomorrow, one says. There's so much of that. The turnover is so high. And, and apparently they send you somewhere bad because they were like, you know where they send you if you do that, right? But they don't say. But this guy doesn't want to hunt man-eating monsters and take orders from a fish man. Listen to this man. Monsters this and fish man that. You know what that is? That's some anthrocentric crap you're talking. And he's like, what? And he goes, yeah, man, you're a goddamn speciesist. I love how I love how finally somebody calls somebody out on that shit. Yeah, that's really good. It, yeah. We, we've seen it a couple times, and they all kind of laugh at him too. They all kind of give him well, shit. Well, and that's the thing that um, I think a lot of people who are uh, vegan they say stuff. They're like, "Hey, you know, let's you're putting people above all the other creatures on." Oh yeah, this earth and sort of, which is an interesting yeah. you know, point of view. I never thought about it that way. And so they find these two guys tied up. And see, I thought that these were the flamethrower guys. 
Oh, are these the flamethrower? Oh, because the man that. in black, the men in black, you know, yeah. spoiler, I'm sure everybody's already read it, but we turn out that he is not really trying to hurt anybody. Yeah. So he, um, my, I thought maybe he just tied them up or something. I, I don't totally know. missed that part. The crew continues to search. Abe talks to Kate as they lead their teams. Liz is being guarded and they suddenly get a call from one of Liz's guards, Musgrove. Oh, hold on. I just like, want to point out this like, once again, this like really the beautiful lighting in this panel. Oh yeah, where it's yeah. like the dark hallway and they all have their flashlights on. And, oh yeah. Uh, just yeah. I mean, once again, sorry. Just no, no, yeah. no, no. Yeah, yeah. Don't keeping, be sorry. Yeah. Keeping track of your light sources. Yeah. Is something that's so and like where the light's coming from, not just the direction, but the specific glow of it. Like, mm-hmm. what kind of a light is it? Exactly, yeah. and that's a very yeah. Yeah, oh, it's, Dave it's Stewart, really, man, really wonderful. Yeah. I'm really glad you brought that up. So I wanted to talk a little bit about this first panel because like as it goes on and then it cuts to this first panel, the lighting in, the, in there is really great. But it's also like this is all taking place inside the, the yeah. building, yeah. like this whole thing. It's like this kind of self-contained. It's almost like a horror movie yeah. that just takes oh, place yeah. in one spot. Can I just say this place is horrible the ever since we got here. It's just one horrible fucking thing wow, after another. Yeah. This place is awful. Go back to the nice art deco house <laughs> <laughs> let's go back to the falling water building that's right the guard calls in musgrove calls in doc doctor it's here he screams everybody to the infirmary kate orders i think daimyo is going after liz they're still calling it daimyo but it's very clearly an ancient jaguar monster god and we see it's um kind of evolved form here i really love this panel as it's kind of rearing up it just looks really awesome it's a really great creature design we don't even know if that's the final form it's almost like like a uh, lizard mixed with a jaguar. Yeah. The sure. Way, I don't know. It's just like, I don't know. Super awesome, though. Godzilla jaguar. Over in Guilford's world, Liz hears something. What was that, she asked. Didn't you hear something? Yes, of course, Guilford says. But it's nothing. Nothing to do with you. And so he's even leading her further into this weird dream world. We cut to the infirmary. And I just want to take a moment here to wish everybody a happy holiday, whatever you're doing for the holidays. Let's all enjoy the whatever you do. I hope you're having a good time today or this week or whenever you listen to this. Maybe you're having fun with your family or maybe you're having fun without your family or maybe you're not having fun because the holidays are hard for some people. But I send my love out to all of you because it's okay Let's just be grateful and happy that we can all get together and look at drawings of people getting ripped apart by Wear Jaguar. <laughs> oh, man. Happy holidays. Oh, man. oh, I didn't even think about what day this is coming out. <laughs> We're actually recording this today. We usually record on, on Sunday. Yeah. And we couldn't get it together because people are going to be, various people are out of town and whatnot, so... This is Friday that we're recording it, which we usually don't. And today is winter solstice. So mm-hmm. a happy winter solstice. Happy winter solstice. To everyone. Yeah. Also, if you're, I guess, happy solstice, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, every oh. other, you know. All the things. <laughs> yeah. All the holiday things. Enjoy Jaguar ripping people apart in the infirmary. Yeah. And what did you think about this page right here? Because, I mean, I think when I first read this, this was like, I just... It's a very winter holiday appropriate <laughs> page. So gruesome. <laughs> yeah, it's really crazy, but I also love it. Grizzly. Kate thinks it might be a different monster, but Abe confirms it's the same based on the smell. So I guess it smells yeah, really okay. bad. 
Abe hits the Jaguar, but then it bats him away. And it gets so close to Kate as she's like, her gun get, runs out of bullets. And she's like, oh, hell. And then suddenly it gets punched in the head. It's Johan. But I'm, he has absolutely no battle experience. He's got no, like, fighting sure. experience. Yeah. So he just comes in, sucker punches the animal, and then has a quip. And, of course, <laughs> we know that the situation is far more dire than that. Right. So... He comes in, but I do like this fight here. It's a really awesome couple pages. Yeah. As we go through this, he kind of grabs it by the tail and bashes it around. And I really love this part as he, like, grabs it by the neck and he turns it around and then he bashes it through the door. Right. Like, I could, I, I'm seeing it happen. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like these pictures are moving as oh, I'm yeah. lo- looking at this. And he's such a, but how is he all of a sudden, he's such a man of physical action. Like, he, you know... For a very long time, he's been very. Um, it's more of a passive kind of a yeah yeah thing that he's got going on. So it's just interesting. He's been lifting all those weights, right, right. And he says, "There, I believe we are done." Yes. And the face that the monster makes here is just yeah incredible. Is so perfectly rent. Just the, oh my god. And they're not done, right? No, yeah. Something terrible happens. The jaguar, like, rips his whole jaw, I guess his whole face from the jaw down. He just, like, rips all that off. I do not like that we see Johan's reaction to this yeah. in real time. That's I, almost like the worst like part that. is the second panel where, where he's, he's just, like... Trying to hold it all in uh, and hold yeah. it all together. Like, the horror, the really, like, no, 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 no. And I don't his, like that. I don't. No, it, but it's great. And the, his body collapses, and we see the Johan ectoplasm start to come out. And then it it's turns Lobster <laughs> Johnson! The ghost of Lobster Johnson. The ghost of Lobster Johnson. Remember, we saw his signature cards flying around as Johan poked around the fourth sub basement. Kate and Abe's reactions yeah. are appropriate. What? They're like, what? <laughs> At least I like how Kate recognizes him, though. Uh, sure. But they, you remember in the uh, when they got the bodies, the guys like you know it'll draw all these souls to me. So right. I always wonder if this lobster was just hitching a ride inside Johan's body. You're right. That's great. In Garden of Souls, he said that all the souls of the, they were going to cause a disaster, and all the souls would be drawn to those yeah. bodies like a beacon. Yeah. But does that have something to do with how weird Johan was acting? Oh, because Lobster Johnson was in there? I don't know. And Lobster Johnson, he bursts into the infirmary where they have Liz, and he just starts shooting at her. So this was kind of like, I was like, no, what's happening? This is really scary. This is horrible. What is Lobster Johnson doing here? What the fuck is going on? He just runs in there, crashes the doors, shoots Liz in the hospital bed. What the fuck's happening? And we see that Guilford is thrown back as this happens. And I'm so glad they gave us at least one more page where they see we see Liz sit up. Yeah. yeah. And we see Guilford. He's on the ground. All his snakes are everywhere. And he's got blood from a, from a wound on his face. Right. So those, those snakes are normally, one, they're gold. Two, they're stationary. And here... As in, as before, we saw one of the snakes turn right. into a live snake and mm-hmm. kind of go towards some. So they're all alive, all at once. Right. Yeah. So and like you said, he's got kind of a scratch on his cheek. So 
something happened there. Sure. I can't make jumps. any determinations about that. But. He, he, he shot her with ghost bullets. There sure. you go. He, he sure did. And he immediately disappears and Liz is like, what's going on? And I think like that's how we... <laughs> that, and then that's, that's how, how it, I feel the whole time. And yeah. that's how it ended. That's how that issue ended too. And you're just like, okay. Yeah, this is just the weirdest. I just... Ugh. Chapter five. Outside, these two guards debate tracking down the jaguar monster after finding its tracks. They call it in. They call it in to Kate, and behind her, back in the bubble suit, Johan mourns his body. The jaguar did some pretty serious damage to it. She tries to console him, but when she says, I know how you must feel, Johan snaps. You know scheiss, he says. I was alive again. Hot showers. I was taking hot showers. I could smell bacon and coffee. I ate. I could touch a woman's skin and know what it felt like. Women wanted me to touch them. And now, and then he's got that little expression again, the yeah, little, his, little his pose, hands. Yeah. And so he finally goes into the infirmary to start the autopsies or to, you know, use his powers on these bodies after this moment. There's some good little pacing here, though, as he's, we see... On the inside looking out, we see through the doors as he's approaching the doors. We yeah. see him and Kate. He's hand, his yeah. hand is on the handle. He goes, I was going to go, I don't know how to pronounce that. I was going to go to this place in the spring. And it, you immediately, in my mind at least, I got this beautiful vision of what this place might be like in the spring. Of course, yeah. that must be a special place if that's the place he chose to go to. And he had plans. But he doesn't say... All of these things. It's like this in the spring. It, the green grass yeah. and the waterfalls and the beautiful flowers are all blooming and it's special things are happening and there's going to be some really cool cultural stuff going on. He doesn't say any of that. All he says is, I was going to go here in the spring. And it's just this very bitter fucking, you yeah. don't even know. And he closes the door and we just see Kate looking and then he's just looking at all these fucking gross bodies. Yeah. Instead, like this is his fate. Yeah. So this he, is his life now. He wanted to have like some, like a normal life. He wanted to get out of there. But like, in my mind, I'm also thinking, how selfish are you? These people need you. They're depending right. on you. And so now I'm wondering, are you there because you want to be there? Or are you there because you're trapped and you're weird and there's no other place for you? Right. Yeah. So it's like, you have to make a choice. You have to decide do you really care about these people? Are you really here because you know you can make a difference, or are you just here because you have no, other, you think you have no other place to be? So it's just a very weird what? moment uh, here in the book. I definitely see what you're saying, but I, I kind of guess I took it to him just being more like he was going to go vacation there <laughs> because he just wanted to vacation there. But then again, I guess like, I don't think he would have come back. Well, that's what I say. Yeah, I was saying he wanted to vacation there, but then he just want then he wouldn't have come back because he was making all these yeah. plans. He was he yeah. was gone when they needed him. I don't think he was coming back, man. And yeah. that's this is something that's a kind of a crucial moment for this character here. Yeah. Yeah. It is a well-paced scene, and I'll tell you about a hornboden. Okay, good. It's a scenic alpine pasture with old mountain maple stands in northern Carwindel, located in Austria. And it's part of a larger landscape and nature reserve. Oh, that does sound beautiful. Yeah, there you go. I do like going to nature reserves. He probably had some sort of like connection to it in his past. Of course, yeah. certainly. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I don't begrudge anyone for wanting to go there and experience beautiful nature. But, yeah. you know, also... That's really just all he's been preoccupied with. Right. That's all he's thinking about. And it's like I wouldn't I wouldn't begrudge him if he did want to leave, but he needs to be honest with them and not just like, you know, blow off work and Kate's still depending on him. He needs to be like, Look, now that I'm 
like this. I would really like to have a different kind of life now. And I'm sure they would all be like, ah, oh, Johan, we're going to miss you, but we understand. But he didn't do any of that. Right. He right. didn't say, hey, guys, I'm out of here. So what is his? what was his remaining connection with this place if he was thinking about, oh, I'm going to this place in the spring? Sure. So what that kind of leaves his character in this weird, bitter limbo for me, I guess. Yeah. And we'll continue. Yeah. Johan will have more stories for sure. Outside, Kate tells Abe that Johan doesn't remember the Lobster Johnson thing. And Abe fills in Kate that Liz is talking up a storm. She's the happiest he's seen her in months. To anyone who will listen. Yeah. So. Yeah, so she's talking to everybody. But I like this little, just this little yeah. page of her talking to Panya. With the kitty. I also like that, you know, I mean, there's like that the weird kind of slight message that goes through this whole story. Like, talk to your friends. Talk to your friends. Yeah. yeah exactly. You, ha- you know, if you're having problems, you know, reach out. Yeah. If he had talked to oh, someone beforehand, right? all of this could have been avoided. Sure. But he thought they didn't trust him. And they weren't communicating properly. And Liz wasn't telling anybody about her bullshit. How much of that could have been avoided? And Johan wasn't telling anybody about his feelings. Yeah. All of that could have been avoided. He could have been right. in our, our sure. Armenboten. Where? A Hornboten. A Hornboten. Something and, like that. We're probably saying it wrong still. I'm sorry, yeah. And and Kate's the only one trying to facilitate any kind of communication here. And no one's communicating. So, yes, Aubrey, I agree with that. And I think the moral of the story here is you need to communicate effectively. Yeah, yeah. it's honestly, a good message. And Kate even says here she was worried that Liz might blow the whole place up. How stupid does that sound now, she tells Abe. And we get this great shot of Johan using his powers. I like how there's two different colors kind of showing him going in there and then something coming out of them. And then his kind of avatar. His apparition is uh, definitely the vessel. Yeah. The big hulking vessel. Johan tells them that he needs to know why they came here. And he will give them a voice to talk. The man in black is named Manuel Antonio Chavez. I came here to save your lives, he says. He was part of Daimyo's mission in Bolivia. He saw that carnage in the universal machine. No one told Manuel what had attacked them. And we see this injury on his neck as they're kind of like um, taking him out of there in the helicopter. He later says that his vocal cords were shredded, making him unable to speak. Well, I like how when uh, Johan says that um, I can be your voice, you know, both him and the other guy are like, um, haven't had a voice in years. There's no point in talking now. And the other guy's like, yeah, too late to matter. And then he's like, so will you tell me your story? And he goes, yeah, I'll tell you a story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. So, but that's the guy that got shot with the arrow, right? In the neck. Oh, yeah. No, I, so just, I just like how they, they both say it's pointless. But then they're like, yeah, but we'll still tell you. Yeah, we'll, we'll still <laughs> talk about it. Chavez was told that he was the only survivor, but then he ran into another member of his platoon a few years later, and they told this guy, Polanco, that he was the only survivor as well. And Polanco tells Manuel about his nightmares and waking up soaked in water and blood, and it wasn't his blood. They weren't able to get answers from doctors or the Marines, and they finally found a retired army colonel in Bolivia who could give them answers. I think Guy Davis does a good job with this. I like whenever he does this kind of like real lush greenery, like in yeah. Garden of oh, yeah. Souls. I, I really like that. Yeah. The colonel tells them that they ran into the jaguar spirit, cursing all of the survivors. The colonel told them that he'd take them to see a shaman in the morning. But then that night, Manny sees Polanco turn into a jaguar monster and I like, leave. I like the um, hammock kind of um 
draping over this monster yeah that's a really good scene the colonel and manny they go after it and it attacks them i like how fast it moves too it's just kind of like a blur yeah and it totally kills the colonel it gives a good sense of motion here like that's all you would see right and as the colonel's dying he tells Manny to look for huayna in the hills the police later called the colonel's death a lion kill. They didn't believe his story, so Chavez went looking for Juana. Juana says he was sorry to hear about the colonel, but not for the colonel's sake. If he'd known that Polanco had been touched by the jaguar spirit, he would have never agreed to see them. Polanco had become what Juana called an emissary of the jaguar god, half human, half demon, and it was fulfilling its only objective. It killed every human it could find that was not anointed member of the cult of the jaguar. Huayna was once a priest in the cult. He never told me why he left, but I didn't care. All that mattered was that he was able to perform an initiation, which made me invisible to the god thing that was preying on the locals. And in the process, I learned everything a hunter of these monsters should know. And I just love the way all this is done here. All that design behind Chavez as he's undergoing this procedure. And I was looking at kind of like these hooks are in him. Mm -hmm. And they're kind of all pulling out these hooks. And it reminded me of this Native American tradition called a sun dance. Typically, a sun dance is a grueling ordeal for the dancers, a physical and spiritual test that they offer in sacrifice for their people. According to the Oklahoma Historical Society, young men dance around a pole to which they are fastened by rawhide thongs pegged through the skin of their chest. And that kind of reminded yeah. me of this thing. Mm -hmm. Right. The um the initiators are all their faces are covered. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. Unlike the great spirit, these emissaries are not immortal, but still very hard to kill. You can hurt them, but they will always heal given time. So Juana forged a special blade, used properly, he told me. It could kill even a ghost. It was a strange feeling hunting down my old friend, a guy who I'd been trying to help. But he was this thing now. He was a monster and a murderer, and I'd brought him there. Just as Juana told me, I found him by the water washing. So remember, we see Daimyo in the sauna. Mm -hmm. He didn't seem to know what he'd done or what he'd become. For a second, because I wanted to, I doubted all of it myself. But when Polanco saw the blade, his eyes changed. Not just his eyes. The creature are weakest when they are human or in the first stages of the transformation. But Juana taught me that you have to make them weaker still. Only then would the blade be effective. Jeez. And we see him kind of turning into the monster from behind. He throws a grenade at it to weaken it more, and then he's able to finally kill it. And all this is really just gruesome and messed up. I like this like weird flashback turn that's just like a completely different yeah. story. Yeah. Anyway, but then you, it gives you such a, a a broader picture of why he was trying to blow up Daimyo, like all this stuff. Like that's why right. he was yeah. doing all that, and why he wouldn't stay back because he sure. can't talk. Exactly. Right. So after this is over, Juana tells him that there's another one, and that's meaning Daimyo. Tell your friend, the green man, I don't blame him for shooting me. Well, he had no choice. He also says, if you look in, in my boot, you're going to find that knife. Right. He yeah. has that knife there that they were going to use. But I still failed all those dead grunts. And then so the healer guy, he tells his story. That is how it ended, if this is an end, but it is not what the captain wanted. When he came to me five years ago, he felt something inside him, something growing and trying to get out. 
something bad. I could not get it out, but I could contain it, and I did. Well, I just want to point out, too, before we move on from this page, that um, Johan is starting to look a little bit more like the Johan we recognize. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's a good That's a good point. I didn't catch that the first time. It's kind of in the halfway yeah. halfway stages. But it's, no, like, so he's, it's like his goatee's coming back. Yeah, well, his mustache and all that. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, sorry, so Daimyo's saying, can you get rid of it? And the guy's like, no, but I'm going to try and contain it for you, and... Yeah, and this panel is really beautiful down here, too. The pottery and everything. But the captain worked hard, most as hard as I. He never wanted that anyone should be hurt. Every 28 days, I give treatments to the captain. But this month, he couldn't wait. He summoned me early, and I come thinking he is overreacting, and that is all. And we get a flashback from that moment. So when we saw that moment with Wend- with the Darrow the Wendigo and this healer guy in the beginning... It kind of led us to believe that the Wendigo had killed him. But here we see that it just walks past him. It just roars and then it just runs right past him. And then we see that the Jaguar monster actually opened up the cage for the Wendigo to get out. Opened up or ripped off the door. Right. Well, and Abe was like, oh, I knew the Wendigo was blah, blah, blah. No, man. No, it it would have kept him in there. Yeah, Yeah. it didn't happen. It's the fucking Jaguar guy. And we also see that the Jaguar killed this guy. So the Wendigo is still Daryl. Yeah. It didn't kill anybody. And he was just trying to get out of there. The healer guy, his spirit goes to confirm that it's still to to see if, if Daimyo is really this thing. And it kind of follows him and it watches him kill these two people who are making out over here. So I just want to point out really quick this this panel where these two people are making out. And then the second panel where they see the jet, the head of the Jaguar monster come around the corner in the pencils uh guy davis drew this stupid goofy face (laughs) and so and and it's in the sketchbook it says uh there's a there's a there's a surprise hidden in the pencils i mean obviously you can't see it after it's been inked and colored over i'll post it this week it's just a he just posted a big stupid it's a stupid goofy face anyway (laughs) it's funny but he had his answer the one i didn't want so we see here just like they talked about, it washes in the water afterwards. Right. He said there was there's no streams, but it found the water all the same. It's the pool. It's the BPRD pool. Right. Oh, those are probably the two that those guys found at the beginning. Sure. Uh, oh, that's it. Those so, are the two people that they found. Yeah. yeah so the flamethrower guys were torn, tying up, and these guys, they just, I guess, stumbled upon them. them. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, I like the that overhead shot where it's he's getting in oh. the pool and all that. Yeah. That's a beautiful shot. Yeah, but the, so then he's on the next page. Um, Johan is all the way back to his his former visage. Yeah, that's true. And uh, the guy is talking about how he didn't know that the creature was, you know, doing all that, and um, it's it's hard for him to know that. Yeah, he says that Daimyo, it's probably killing him. Yeah, you know, to to know that he's doing this, and Johan is. There's a point where he's like. Neither of you guys seem upset that you just died. And they're both just kind of like, it's too late to be upset now, isn't it? And Johan just kind of looks down. And I think they're also, he's thinking about the body too. It's too late to be upset about that. You know, they're kind of, I don't know. There's kind of a dual message there that I like. His sad face. And then he just says, you are released. It's very poignant. So coming back to talking with Kate and Abe, Kate says that now they know how to kill the thing. Abe says it might be difficult since we know that now that Daimyo is innocent in all this. Truly, Johan says, I doubt I'd have any trouble doing it. Yeah, so he definitely ha- is holding a grudge over he, that. He, he definitely feels some kind of way about that. 
Try saying that after you've already killed one innocent man, Abe says, because he killed the man in black, and he's just found out now that he wrote stay back because the monster was going to come out and he was going to try and kill it with a knife. Yeah. Yeah. So he was kind of saying to them, like, I'm going to take care of this, you know what I mean? And then Abe just killed him. But Abraham Chavez himself said, yes, Abe interrupts, I heard. Because the guy said, tell your friend not to be upset about this, but, you know. He could say that, don't be upset, but of course, you know. he, he right. right. Kate asks Abe why the Jaguar would help the Wendigo escape. Abe mentions that Daimyo spent a lot of time down there. Whatever the reason, Abe says, there was still some piece of Ben inside that creature that made him want to free the Wendigo. So what do you think that that is about? Because he was down there oh, yeah. watching it for a long time, and he was saying, like you said, making all those comments about it. But then when he turned into the monster, that's one of the first things that he did. Yeah. Well, I think it's kind of like a two-pronged approach. I think one that um, maybe he kind of hoped Daryl, maybe like you were saying, like he, he was provoking, uh, maybe trying to get a reaction to see if Daryl was still there. Maybe he was still hoping that Daryl was there because that gives him hope for himself. But then also ripping the door off to let the Wendigo escape well, gives I, him a uh, yeah. alibi. Like the Wendigo did this, not me. Right. right. Well, then I was thinking, I think that, the, his comments in that first scene were just his gut well his insecurities mm. his insecurities about oh am i still going to be me and you know all this stuff cuz he 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 knew that he wouldn't be able to control his actions maybe as the jaguar wouldn't remember them at least and then am i going to be is there going to be nothing left of me or are my friends going to say well fuck that guy and forget about him and they're going to be better off without me and all this stuff like he was those were his fears no and uh, so like now uh even kate is like maybe it was the monster inside ben that drew him to the wendigo in the first place right, like yeah. maybe the, yeah. the monster has a connection to the wendigo for some reason and we don't know you know right so we don't but i also like how they mentioned that it's been a few weeks so that also sure. uh indicates that uh, johan's been in that body for a while now Right, because we don't know how long it's how long has it been since the Garden of Souls, and how long did Johan? So, right, I can see why he could be so attached and so upset about losing the body, but um, you know, yeah, I guess yeah. I just don't understand why he's already ready to just write off Daimyo. He's like, yeah. I'm just gonna kill him. I'm gonna straight up kill him. Right, I would yeah. have no problem doing that. And right, I'm like, wow, exactly. Yeah, that's fucking harsh. The storytellers are leaving us in this state of. They want us to be like, what is the reason? Right, yeah. We have no idea. It's a mystery. You know, is he a man? Is he a monster? Is it a little bit of both? We have no idea. So they're they're very clearly saying, you know, you're not supposed to fucking figure that out yet. We have, we're not going to tell you yet, <laughs> which is infuriating, but also awesome. Yeah. Can't wait to find out. And we cut to outside. We see Daimyo under a sheet in the snow. He hears a howl, and he turns to see Daryl the Wendigo. Yay! And they face off. The end. So, what did you think of this weird ending? I love this splash page so much. Yeah. I really think it's great, and I don't know what's going to happen, but I bet you it'll be super interesting. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was just like, that's that's the end? <laughs> exactly, yeah. Oh, don't get me wrong. It's yeah. a great ending and all that. But then, yeah. like, I think I was like, right after I got done reading it, I texted you like, but I was really starting to like Daimyo. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and so there's a great afterword by John Arcudi. This one has been brewing for a while, ever since I wrote the name Benjamin Daimyo, in fact. 
That's not to say that we knew all the way back in 2004 what was going to play out just this way. For one thing, Guy Davis and I hadn't created Daryl yet or any of the characters in Garden of Souls, including those spare giant bodies. So we didn't know the role that either Daryl or Johan would play. It's a process after all. Well, it's more than that, really. It's almost a living, growing thing. It takes time, but if you nurture it properly and don't force it, it grows naturally. But to complete the metaphor and bring it back to Ben, it grows from a seed. When Mike asked me to work with him on BPRD, Hellboy was gone and Abe was out of town. On the one hand, Mike knew Abe was coming back to the Bureau, and probably most of the readers assumed Abe was coming back. But as far as I could tell, none of the characters in the story knew it. So we thought to ourselves... Wouldn't Tom Manning have a backup plan? And as it turns out, he did. The plan was Ben Daimyo. Ben was meant to fill the void left by Hellboy and Abe. Not so much for the readers, but for the other characters. He was a man who Roger could emulate and Liz could resent. And Kate and Johan could respect. And Abe, when he returned, could even defer to. A strong man and a good man who would do great work. But a man who was going to end up being one of the worst things that ever happened to the BPRD. That's what I was thinking right from day one. And not only was Mike okay with this, but if I remember correctly, it may have been half his idea. See, he didn't bring me on to help him create trademarks that were to be explored and safeguarded in perpetuity. (laughs) He didn't want a status quo for the team. He didn't want stagnation. His goal, our goal, was for us to develop characters that would be complex and interesting enough to generate their own stories. And if we were lucky, the stories would be interesting enough to attract readers. So far, it looks as if we've been pretty lucky. Oh, and by the way, if you're wondering what happened to Daimyo right at the end of the story, good. Good. Oh, man. (laughs) Love that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so well said. And that just reiterates the point I was trying to make earlier about, like, their number one priority is to tell a good fucking story. And he's saying outright, yeah, man, we're not concerned with this whole wanting to uh what was the exact words he used were to be exploited and safeguarded in perpetuity yeah <laughs> the trademarks to trademark that. some stuff you know they're not just creating these hollow trademarks they're they're creating these complex characters and these these stories that are that are meant to make you wonder what the fuck is going on and that's right you know that like uh, he's saying that um mike mignola didn't want status quo didn't want stagnation their goal was to develop complex stories and stuff and that's something that i really appreciate that i really appreciate that so much like that's so they're creating because that act of creation is something really special and intense and and it's something that just has to happen these good stories have to happen and that's i i think that when you're driven by by that desire to tell a good story or to express this in some artistic way it's you get in turn, you get a really good fucking story, and people do want to read it. And having readers who want to read your stories, or having people who want to look at your art or listen to your songs or whatever, is like for for me. I think it's a if you build it, they will come kind of a deal. I don't think you should right. with the goal in mind of I want to be rich and famous. I want to make something that's super popular. That's my goal. It's like well, I think that's cool and nice when it happens. But if your goal is to tell a good story, if your goal is to do a good job at the art. If you're doing your job, if you're if you're creating the song because that's the way the song needs to be, then yeah, hopefully other people are able to enjoy that expression along with you. And I think we're really lucky because we're involved in a whole fucking world here now yeah. that's able to be created because 
this awesome team of a bunch of different people are getting together and telling a bunch of different stories that all kind of tie in together. And what we've got is something really special. And in turn, I think he's saying here, you know, like, um, looks like we've been pretty lucky to attract these readers. Right. And it is a really special, we're learning it's a really special community, or it can be. I mean, obviously, there are certain toxic traits that jump out, you know, and sometimes people can be toddlers about stuff when you're trying to translate it into a big Hollywood movie, which is the point of that is to express it in, in a different way and maybe make a little money. Who knows? But I think that, you know, overall, the fans of, of stuff like this have been pretty great and just really want to talk about the the story itself. So Yeah, and I like how they mentioned like the whole uh, with stagnation because I feel like other other comic companies, uh, the big two, you know, they're they're uh, they I mean, don't be wrong. I mean, I grew up reading them and all that, but it does become kind of stagnant. It always goes back to yeah, it's Spider Man number one again. Yeah, it's Uncanny X Men number one again. And so it's Guardians of the Galaxy number one again. Hey, Aubrey, do you want to buy Miss Marvel number one again? Again, <laughs> although we are finally think- starting to see a little bit of uh, you know, pe- people are just like. It's almost unavoidable. People are clawing and begging and s- scratching for for something that is like you like you're yeah. saying something that's a little more original. So like into the Spider Verse, we saw was oh, yeah. something in that direction of like okay, what other kind of story could we possibly tell with this fucking character? But, and uh, why are there so many reboots? You know? But yeah, but like I, but like um, but yeah, anyway. uh, back back to VTRD is yeah. just like it's, it's so like you say it's like just so refreshing. That it's like a story that keeps moving and yeah. forward. It doesn't try to rest yeah. on its past. It just it wants to keep going forward with the story. And it, yeah. and the characters, you know, they come and go as they as they need to serve the story to keep the story moving. Well, right. and it's also like yeah. your life or my life. Who hasn't had yeah. people come in and yeah. out of your life and have tragedy happen and had very exactly. special quiet moments of joy and had yeah. these things that are have very large consequences and that you could never have foreseen you know so yeah i, I agree with you yeah no that's great great discussion and i just wanted there were a couple uh, other things i wanted to go over really quick there it is yeah there's that for did you show danielle <laughs> You gotta post that on the. Uh, I'm gonna post a comparison. Oh, that's so great. there's a great page in the oh, sketchbook. Man. If you're looking at it on the <laughs> app or whatever, it's page 443. Just a but, goofy little. No, but I was talking about 443. You see Mignola's um, sketches for the jaguar monster. Yeah. And he kind of talks about how it evolves. The first form is the raw meat version, and then the second, the final form is. The skull lengthens and flattens to be more cat-like. It grows new skin, and it grows hair up the back of its spine and a tail. I really like all that. And yeah, there's the uh, the goofy face. You saw that? 445. Something sinister lurks through the BPRD headquarters. That little that goofy face. And then the last thing I wanted to um, read really quick. So there's an oh, awesome... Oh, wait. I'm sorry. I just came across... I had never looked at this sketchbook pages before... From the Garden of Souls, there's a little, there's a little budgie guy, and he's half budgie, half monkey. It says budgie monkey. The little, yeah, those little weird <laughs> hybrid a animals. Look, it's so cute. Yeah, there's some really cool sketches of the different animals. That looks like my pickle. Budgie monkey. So there's a really great forward to by Scott Alley where he kind of talks about the whole series. He talks about Universal Machine and Garden of Souls. But this last little part here, it says, In many ways, this volume is all about Daimyo. 
in the first few pages of this book, we still know next to nothing about him. Over the next 400 or so pages, we learn his secrets and we see him through terrible transformations. This book reveals the truth about his death and his rebirth, setting in motion the most brutal scenes ever to take place in the series. Hmm. Yeah. I won't argue with that. It was pretty fucking brutal. Yeah. So yeah, that was a just a, a really great story. It was very mind-blowing when I read that the first time and it just kind of left me with this weird like what the fuck that final scene with him and the wendigo just staring off but we'll get more of their story on the next episode so <laughs> that was a great discussion i hope everybody is having a good time doing all their things winter holidays winter holidays for everyone and if you're a week late new year's yeah <laughs> or whenever you listen to this i hope you're having a, your own little holiday and now aubrey's gonna say all the things Share us your thoughts on The Killing Ground. Send us your hey you damn guys at hellboybookclub at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast and on Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club. And find us on Discord. The link is on our Facebook page. And please check out our friends at Mignolaverse.com. You can find the podcast on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Next week, we'll be talking about the BPRD's Out of Reach and The Warning. So pull out your back issues, omnibus, trades, library editions go to the library check them out use the hoopla app to download them and join us next week on the hellboy book club podcast thanks a lot everybody my name is john salinas i'm danielle renee and i'm aubrey lovelace saying honestly i really don't know what killed whom (laughs) 